Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network for a brand new season of 24. How are we here already? Uh, we get to talk about day five now. This is the ultimate day. This is the one everybody's been waiting for. Uh, this is the fan favorite, the Emmy favorite. Uh, this is everybody's favorite, except for two actors who have to sit it out after the first 15 minutes, uh, which is. Part of lay the excitement we get to talk about. Lay it out. <laughs> Bury it out. <laughs> Sweep him up. <laughs> Put him in a bag. <laughs> How exciting for everybody else that they get to live through season five. Uh, it was my personal favorite season. We'll see if it still is at the end of the season. Uh, I know, Ben, you said this was uh, maybe your personal favorite season, at least going into this. Yes or no? It'll be top two. Top two seasons right here. <laughs> top two, baby. <laughs> The other one will be next season, season six. Season seven. <laughs> Come on, bring it on. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is the 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 main event. And then we're going to kind of downhill, downhill from here. Uh, episode number one of season five, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Written by Howard Gordon, directed by John Kassar, starring Kiefer Sutherland, oh, minus a mullet. Well, uh, is he in the prequel? I don't know. I saw a guy with a mullet. We're also going to talk boys about the prequel keeper. here. <laughs> Lost Boys Keeper is back. Um, so much we get to talk about here. So much we get to cover. And um, so many lines that uh, all I can say is, my name is Colin and my chair. <laughs> really? Of all the quotable lines, that's the one you go for? <laughs> That's almost as bad as rodents. Um, Wow. Um, And my name is Ben, and I'd appreciate you didn't tell anyone about this at work. I don't want people to think I'm some type of slut or something. Nobody's going to think that, Ben. What does that (laughs) mean? (laughs) Uh, This episode, I mean, first 15 minutes alone, uh, (laughs) we could talk about for, I don't know, an hour and a half. But uh, we got so much to cover here. Uh, before we actually get into it, I mean, do you remember this? Do you remember leading into season five or even theories coming out of season four, what you thought might have happened in season five? I mean, season five kind of, it, it w- didn't exactly put a bow on it, but uh, it wrapped up the story in a way where you knew if you're coming back, it's going to be something completely different. And the funny thing is, unlike the first four seasons where I remember all the trailers coming into this, I don't remember much, but I, I do know that I had awareness of, oh yeah, these are some of the actors who are going to be joining the show, but trailers, I don't remember what was released about this, except for the, the single image of Jack Bauer with that miner's helmet or the oil rig helmet on. That was the only thing that I think I knew coming into this. I I remember this vividly. This was probably the one, oh, this and season six definitely were the ones where it was just like so much covering. I mean, I talked last season about 
you know, that was the first one where, um, you know, the prequel, and obviously we'll talk about this prequel, but I mean, you know, I had like dial-up internet still, I think, when season four came out. So it was sort of like, oh, you know, getting it and took 20 years, but this was sort of peak fandom of myself. So like I was on 24 news websites every day, the rumors circulating, the cast being announced, all that kind of stuff. I, I When they said, oh, we're releasing a prequel and just the countdown to that, watching that, getting excited. The trailers, yeah, like I, I definitely remember that sort of looking up. I think there was a bit around the the nerve gas and everything. I think there was like footage of the the airport stuff that we're going to get in a couple of episodes, of course. Because again, these are four episodes. The first four are technically, you know, the, the big release over two nights. So I think pretty sure it was all of that. Obviously, they kept a lot of hidden from this episode. But I mean, this in the lead up to this, this was... I we just moved house. We got broadband internet, not dial up. So, openly admit it. This is when I started downloading TV shows. So I I knew when this was being released. I like, and this is a thing in Australia where you know often we'd be a week or two behind. It was getting better at this period. Um, you know, back in the days when we used to be months behind the US. But this was like day of. I worked the time difference out. I knew at what point it was going to be up on a torrent website. And just completely going on it. I remember sitting down watching this episode and like just having to pause it and rewind it and just fucking losing my shit at everything that happens in this episode. But uh, yeah, the, the prequel itself too, I remember being way more excited about because this isn't a very good prequel, uh, but um, it's, mm. it's fine. But theories, <laughs> things like that, um, you know, I think because the, the synopsis, they just like, oh, something brings Jack out of hiding. You, you always knew he was going to get brought out. Yeah. Death somehow, so... Um, but yeah, no, I think this is the, the rarest of occasions of 24 where I think every bit of hype lives up to it. And I think that, um, you know, it, it really does set the bar high for this season. And unlike a subsequent season that will follow, you know, it doesn't really let up. Like it, it kind of sticks a landing on 95% of all angles and just the hype and everything just lived up to expectations of this entire thing. Cause this episode too is the one that got the Emmy for the season and got the Emmy for Jack, uh, for Kiefer. Oh, really? So, yeah. From what I've read, this is the one they submitted for, uh, the Emmys and this is what won it for them. The, uh, the interesting thing with the prequel is, I mean, I didn't see the prequel until after the season was over. Um, but, uh, it came out a month beforehand. And I mean, the idea behind these prequels is really to build people's excitement. But I mean, this one, there's no connection <laughs> to the series. The, the timeline and everything is that the season starts 18 months later. The prequel is 12 months later, but like Jack got a lot done in the six months in between this prequel. I mean, he moved across the country. He lost the mullet. He established a life. He got a girlfriend. He got a job, uh, but none of those things are relevant for watching the prequel. I mean, really the only thing just the plot line of the prequel is that Jack with his mullet <laughs> in Chicago uh, is meeting up with Chloe and Chloe's basically found out that like her, her computer was hacked. No, this makes Chloe look the, the only person on this show whose computer should never be hacked is Chloe. Uh, but her, her computer was hacked and they stole the most precious files. The ones that basically would prove that Jack didn't die. Like, it, to me, it just seems like, Oh, well, let's throw this together at the last minute. It doesn't seem to make sense. Chloe's even if this did happen, yeah, it could happen to Chloe. Even let's say it did happen. Chloe's reaction is not going to be this. Oh, sorry, Jack, something happened. Like, Chloe would be, I'm furious. I mean, I they used a, a monkey uh, paw algorithm, whatever it was, to get in. And that's just, that's unethical. And I, I'm protesting. Yeah. Look, then there's a massive mistake in this prequel. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up. Um, oh, no. So this whole bit where Chloe's going on and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, they tried to access your autopsy reports. 
Now, remember when they said at the end of last season, there's not no going autopsy, to be yeah. an autopsy? So it's like straight, and you literally get that in the previously on 24 in episode one. So, um, yeah, look, look. I want I want to know what the autopsy report has. Like the guy doing the autopsy, all right, we got Mr. Jack Bauer. Okay, there we go. There's the ovaries. All right, everything checks out. <laughs> oh, he's black. Um, like, <laughs> small penis though. Um, no, it's, it's, yeah, like I think the thing with the prequels is that you know, they're not, we talked about this last season, they're not super necessary viewing. I would even argue redemption is not super necessary viewing before you go into season seven. I think that they add something to it and you know, it's fine. It's kind of maybe like Rogue One or Solo. Like, I mean, you know, kind of it adds something to a story that kind of gives you a bit more, but like it also doesn't take away from anything. And I think like this is just a car chase. Um, you know, it's, it's Chloe randomly showing up in like a freaking what was that car you used to drive a Honda Fit or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and just like casually driving. That that's I'm sorry, that's not Chicago. Uh, I've been to Chicago. That's not Chicago. <laughs> that's Winnipeg. <laughs> Stop fooling us. That is not Chicago. Is not that sunny? Um, but I don't know about. <laughs> Kiefer with the mullet, but um, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, do you like the mullet? I was afraid to say it. Well, we'll get cut off. I mean, look, it's twenty twenty three. Everyone loves mullets right now. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've just started watching Kiefer and Rabbit Hole. Stay tuned for our. Uh, was probably already released our uh, Patreon episode where we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, nah, I'm I'm fine without the mullet. Better, I think. Better with the longer hair that we had in season one. Remember the sort of the, whenever oh, you go yeah. back and watch season one, it's a bit jarring to see a bit of a, not a mullet as such. It's a bit of a mop mm-hmm. that he's got. But um, yeah, I mean, besides an obvious mistake from Chloe here. I mean, I always get confused. Where's Chloe? Like after like she leaves and this chase is happening, she's got to be like two blocks away. Surely she's hearing like commotion and crashing and all this sort of stuff. And she just like gets back in the car and says, I'm going to drive a star <laughs> rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. <laughs> just guessing that was Chloe listens. Going to, to going to meet up with Spencer. I guess. That song's about sex, by the way, Colin. If you didn't know, um, <laughs> really is actually. But uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, there is the one cool thing at the end where the car gets impaled by the forklift. Yeah. Uh, he but, says, "Damn uh, it!" Once. It, it, it's it's a fine action sequence. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's not, like you said, not necessary viewing. But I now let's get into At the time when I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. See, you know, 24, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you know what, 18 years later, 17 years later, yeah. it's like, yeah, sure. Uh, like you mentioned, the this is the four-part premiere, really, uh, or two-part, four-episode premiere, uh, but uh, hour one. And uh, you can really tell the difference between season four and this, where it's like they came into this knowing because the episode's not structured in a way where they're begging you to come back 10 seconds later. Uh, even outside of that first 15 minutes, I, I kind of questioned last week. I'm like, okay, so how good is it outside of that first 15 minutes? And it's fantastic. This is like oh, yeah. a mini movie of 24. Um, the, the action alone in the episode, episode one, is just extraordinary. And the way that they get all the characters in there and establish new characters, I, I was really oh, happy. Oh, new to characters. <laughs> Well, but the um, the commentary, there's two commentaries I was able to listen to. Both had John Kassara on it. Uh, one with Kiefer and one with Howard Gordon. No Connie? Uh, no Connie. Oh. I don't know. They, they do talk about her briefly. Connie. But uh, they, uh, all the things that I was watching this episode noting how much I loved and appreciated the way they handled some of these trickier things, they talk about the commentary and they're like, yeah, we weren't sure if this was going to work, but somehow it worked. Like going into the season, 
the most interesting thing I discovered the kind of going through the, the commentaries is that they had severe doubts about oh, yeah. whether any of this was going to work. Like a lot of doubts. I'm glad you brought and, that up. Cause sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Like that, that did ding a bell because I remember seeing a lot, I think it was just during this season. Uh, maybe I used to buy TV week in Australia or just read stuff online, but I remember them always doubting this. And I'm pretty sure John might've mentioned that on our, our reunion as well, that they just, they doubted that this was such a risk. Like this first episode alone, the first four minutes literally what they do like and they they didn't know but like i mean for fuck's sake does it work there's other things too like even outside of you know the the more daring things they do for storyline some of the things that are not necessarily big storyline points where they're like we're going back to season one it didn't work in season one the the kid uh connie Britton and the kid um connie! nobody wanted Kiefer hated that uh and he talks about in the commentary about how much it, it did pay off um, Martha Logan, they were really oh. worried that this would be too much of a character, the whole family drama of, and they got kind of without coming around and saying, you know, they're alluding towards the Palmer drama from the first few seasons and what did and didn't work. But this is the season where I feel like season three and season four, they laid off of a lot of those tropes of season one and season two. And without even me realizing it, watching this episode, I'm like they brought these things back that didn't work. And now all of a sudden they found a way to make it work. I mean, that's one of the things that's so great about this episode is it's like watching the first two seasons, but actually having it pay off well. 100%. And remember that because moving forward after season six, episode four, that is the problem with 24. Because at this point they go, oh, well, we've done this and we've done that. So let's do this again because that worked. Maybe we'll tweak it a little bit and it just, it falls flat miserably and you just you're rolling your eyes so much at it but 100% because I even I remember coming into the my speed rewatch last year and like it'd been a war I don't know how many years it'd been since I watched season five maybe like five or six years but like I just I always seemingly remember hating Derek like I just I, I just thought yeah. oh he's that annoying fucking kid and I'm telling you now I love Derek Derek's great Derek's one of the best kids in peril we will get in 24. And you really indeed him. This actor is fantastic. And even I think, remember when I was watching this live, Martha going like, oh my God, who is this woman? She's annoying. Yeah. Like what is happening? But she goes on to be like one of the best things of this season. And the sad thing I am so sad about, the sad thing I'm so sad about is uh, <laughs> we get Gene Smart back, I think for one or two episodes next season. That's it. And it's a terrible. Oh, I thought she was in more than that. No, it's it's a one or two, but it's like, and it's a, a terrible storyline next season. Oh, when they bring eight, back. Uh, seven or eight where she's in it more, right? No, no. After season six, she just never comes back again. You really? never see her again. You hear her mentioned briefly, but no, she never returns. Um, but like, but she just is so amazing. She won an Emmy for this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, she's just. She's just something about, and like going and jumping ahead here probably to what you, I'm sure you're going to say, and we touched on this last season, but like they hit something with Logan. And this is what mm -hmm. I think they nail it. Not only are they nailing these tropes that they've done previously, but they were like, hmm, well, Logan was interesting last season. So let's straight away front and center shove Logan down your throat. They never did this with Keeler last season. They, they you know, yeah. they like Palmer was always the president of 24, if you think about it. So like this was a big, big risk that they all of a sudden do, and he just does it so well. So all these elements you're talking about, it's so true because like they are tropes of like, Oh God, here we go again. But like, it's done in a different way that you kind of almost like if, if you've never watched 24 and you're watching this for the first, Oh, it's all new. Even if you have watched 24 before, you're still going like, Oh, this feels a bit new. But realistically, it's kind of exactly what we've seen before. Uh, we're going to go through the individual storylines, but 
premieres like finales are like you have so much crammed into one section you kind of have to go chronological. so the first 15 minutes here we're just going to go chronologically and then we'll kind of break off into the individual stories uh so this is the big 15 this is the biggest 15 minutes in the history of 24 i'm going to argue uh, we open up and it's 18 months later and Jack, or is he Frank now? Uh, he can't <laughs> even like get pump work and an oil rig. Uh, he's basically just, this is like depression era. You come to the docks and it's like, we've got room for four men. Uh, <laughs> but uh, interesting trivia thing. They're naming off all these names and those are crew members that they inserted the names of. Uh, for all the people that they do give work to. And then that's the, the actually, that's is that the true story, how they got them to write episodes for season seven. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to give you an on-screen credit. Uh, we didn't get Duppy Demetrius' name in here, which is why he's no longer on the show. <laughs> right, Roger, you're writing uh, episode three. Uh, <laughs> Sam, you're... And that's actually how they got these Star Wars sequels as well. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Colin Trevorrow. Uh, oh, no, wait, you're out. Uh, he's the Frank of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Sorry, we got nothing for you. Uh, maybe tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, poor Frank is just told to come back tomorrow. And and I actually really like seeing this. Like to, to me, I think the idea of this, it's it almost would play as cheesy. It's like, oh, Jack's just got an everyday job now. But like there's something the way that Kiefer plays it, where you're not seeing him settled in his new life. You're seeing him where he's almost uncomfortable still. And I just love it. Um, we get cut to Palmer and Wayne. They're both back. Well, this is our first time having Wayne, Wayne since season three. Yeah. Uh he's gonna, you know, play a bigger part in the season than Palmer. Or really, I think the interesting thing is that. This season is Palmer season. Um, just only in one the next year. season. Are you talking about David yeah. or Wayne? No, David. David. David like right. this, the, the entire plot yeah. is about him. True. Uh, but uh, we see on the news Logan and Superoff. So this is basically setting up one of the main plot points of the season. This this. Um, it's not really a peace treaty, but I guess a conference. Of, uh, it is, I guess, kind of a peace it's treaty. Never really like one. I mean, it's it's not really fleshed out specifically what this treaty is. Like, I mean, it, this feels a bit awkward watching this in 2023 when Russia. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the day of recording this, I think Finland just joined NATO. So, I mean, I think Russia's getting ready to invade Finland next. So, um, yeah, if, it doesn't hold up well 17 years later. <laughs> If we find out the invasion starts with Finland being gassed with some type of nerve gas, then we know who's to blame. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the Americans. But, I mean, this is obviously a bigger deal than a summit just based on the way that Logan plays it. Uh, but it bigger, not, not quite as like, we're going to have complete, we're going to have a complete partnership with everything, but something. Um, but uh, Palmer is looking at the newspaper and everything, and he seems worried. Now, this is really the only indication. If I have one complaint about this episode, is that they reveal their cards at the end of this episode. And I feel like maybe you should have saved this for episode four uh, is being the two night premiere that the plot is not just about Jack, you know, because uh, this one hint here is all you really get until the end of the episode with him looking at the paper and kind of looking worried. We're like, well, if they killed him, why would did they put that, you know, plant that seed in there? It's obviously something more. And I kind of wish they'd strag that a little bit further. We we get that spoiled by the end of the first episode. You look like you disagree. I, I see what you're saying, but I would disagree in the fact that I think they do a good job in making you believe this is resolved pretty early. I think in the oh, coming you, weeks. They weave it together in ways in the next couple yeah, of Yeah, and I think they do it in a way where you forget about it enough. It's, it's similar to the mole in season one where you think like, Oh, it was Jamie. That's over and done with Nina's not a, sus a suspect. So you just, you, you, okay, cool. You move on. Um, and I think that obviously we know that they brought back Jamie in to get the wrist cut and all that to make it seem mm -hmm. like, but it seamlessly it works well. 
So, like, I think what they do well in this season is, yeah, you're right. They kind of, you know, oh, this is happening. But it, it comes full circle later on in the season when you, as you said, this whole season is basically almost David Palmer's season. So, yeah. from this very first moment, and again, I still, I, I can be corrected by John or anyone who we ever get on the show if we ever ask them this question, but I do not believe that they knew the twist, the big twist in like episode 16 and 17, they knew at this point. That's just me. Uh, oh, did they? Maybe well, you can correct me because I watch this, as I keep saying, I watch this season not believing that twist as much, knowing it when you're watching Logan throughout this season. That That's what I'm going to find interesting going through these commentaries because, I mean, uh, I don't know, we've, we might have briefly talked about before, but like the commentaries are recorded at odd times. Most commentaries are sort of recorded throughout the course of filming the season. They'll have, this episode's complete, let's get these people since they're on set you know, John's back for this episode. So when this episode's wrapped, let's get him in for a commentary. But the two commentaries in this episode, one is recorded not long after this episode aired and they don't really talk about, you know, the Logan twist in any way. Whereas the other one, the Kiefer commentary was recorded when the finale, it was already done. Like the season had wrapped and aired and they're obviously alluding towards, oh, you look at this and this is, you know, you never suspect what's going to come with Logan. So as we get to future episodes, I'm going to kind of pick apart all these commentaries to see how much maybe they did or didn't know. Um, but one thing I, I learned from uh, the John Kassar, Howard Gordon commentary is that um, getting, um, I'm going to call him David, uh, Haysbert, getting Haysbert back. Haysbert, uh, that de- guy. Dennis, Dave, David Haysbert. <laughs> played the insurance by the voice, man. Dennis Palmer, yeah. <laughs> Uh, getting him back was actually a little bit tricky because obviously he wasn't under contract. He wasn't obligated to come back. And when they pitched to him, listen, you're going to come back and die in the first episode. He was very hesitant to do it. And Howard Gordon just sort of said, don't worry that this is going to be the point of the season. David Palmer, the character is going to be very important later on in the season. And he admits he just did that as a line to get him to agree to do it. He was kind of uh, trying to fool him into, come on, film the one scene. Uh, but he said, but later on, it actually did turn out to be true. You know how important David was to the season. Um, a- another trivia thing: this this apartment, David's apartment, uh, was basically a five million dollar apartment in Los Angeles that uh, was up for sale and was completely empty. So they just had to dress the apartment, but they got to film in it for free. It was Dennis uh, Haysbert's house. Let's be honest; he just got out <laughs> yeah. a bit. Right, insurance out at seven. I can just get shot at six. Yeah, just just uh, it's it's up on the markets. So just make sure you're out of here in about an hour and a half. Uh, I've got a showing, um, but uh, I mean it's a nice looking apartment. I don't know if it looks like five million dollars. <laughs> they could have shown a little bit more than one room, but uh, I do love though the scene with Wayne. Uh, this is basically Anakin and Obi Wan at the beginning of uh, uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh, it's like uh, you you're not sleeping well because of your mother. <laughs> like this is uh, him saying, "Oh, you seem distracted. Is it because of your memoirs? Yes, it's because of my memoirs." Uh, it's like, why do I feel there's more to it than this? And obviously he's looked at the newspaper. So this is what people probably are glossing over in episode one, but it's going to be important later on. Has something to do with the whole Russian deal. Uh, and then it's like, all right, let's get back to it. Chapter six, people are going to want to know about Sherry. And then boom, something nobody expected to happen. Oh. If you expect this to happen, you don't expect it to happen to arguably, the, not not the second most episodes, but the second lead character, 24 started as two characters it was jack bauer and it was david palmer and you have just shot your second main character neck in the neck (laughs) and he doesn't live through this one (laughs) god damn it tony you were lucky exactly uh or or maybe he just david didn't have as good of a surgeon as tony had because he should have been up, up six hours from now hoping to catch this killer but never in a million years did anybody expect you were going to kill him and 
the most brilliant thing about this is you're doing this in, it's technically scene two, but I mean, it's sort of shared as scene one. You, you catch up with Jack, you catch up with David. And I remember watching this first time and it's one of those jaw dropping moments where you're like, what? Like what? Uh, he's got to, he's going to wash up on a beach somewhere. I know he's going to be okay. Uh, but uh, it, it took time to process. And I think the most brilliant thing about this is that what's going to come at the end of this 15 minutes which I let's actually let's not cover the whole 50 minutes. Let's just break here and just talk about seeing that for the first time. The most brilliant thing to me isn't that you killed David Palmer in the opening scene. It's that this sort of fools you into thinking, well, this is their twist. And then everything that happens after this, you're like, it's still coming. It's like, it's you're, you're getting rid of the bullets yourself. It's like, Oh, another one. Oh, I'll live through that. Oh, Oh, no, that one's going to definitely need a bandaid. And then, Oh, they keep coming. Yeah. I mean, this is just the absolute pure shock of watching this and do we even need to say this is a top five moment i mean come on oh hands um, down yeah like i just this is what i'm saying like i pause it the hand to the mouth like just those moments you rewind like oh my god did that actually just happen and obviously as you said you realize there's still more to come this is what this episode just delivers and like you risk that with episodes like going too far right like you know like but this does in a way because i think like what works so well with how they set this up is that you've just kind of got random jacks you get jack over and done with straight away like they don't go on this trope that you're gonna get next season or like season nine where it's this slow like oh who is it who is it oh there's jack like you know with you know music you get a small little cue from sean calorie here the dun, 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 dun. Mm. but like it's just literally jack in a fucking worker's hat like oh guys okay i'm jack how you doing mm. uh and then uh, piss off home frank like it's simple jack over and done with great and then you move straight on to palmer and so like you're watching this, like you're four minutes in, and you're like, oh, cool, Palmer's back this season. That's good. And you just kind of just got this like slow scene. There's no tension. There's no anything. There's no nothing to imply that this is about to happen. And that's what's so good. And even just having Wayne back, you're like, oh, Wayne, there he is. Cool. He's back like Wayne. Uh, just everything about this is just kind of setting it up and you're kind of excited. And like it's, we have so many, like we talked about what Mission Impossible many years ago, Emilio Estevez like killed off in the opening. I mean, so many movies yeah. famously, Drew Barrymore and Scream, isn't Steven Seagal killed off in like some movie, like the plane, some movie in like five seconds. Oh, executive decision, yeah. Yeah, like just certain movies where you've got these big ass stars who are billed as coming back on this movie and they're killed within two seconds. You're like, what? That really was. This is just incredible. And it's just played off like a normal scene. You're just like, okay, cool. Them chilling around, them doing a the memoirs, all that kind of stuff. And just it's there are sometimes when in hindsight where you watch a scene in a TV show and yeah it's easy to say when you know what's going to happen you can sort of pick it apart, but like this reminds me of the the House of Cards train scene which you mm. obviously had, I think you said seen the British it's, version beforehand yeah. or I had no clue that that was about that I and mean, I will stand by that to me is probably the most shocking scene I've ever seen in all of television. Um, Howard getting shot in Better Call Saul like. You know, moments like that that you're not expecting. I mean, Breaking Bad, when Gus gets blown up, like, sorry, spoiling all these ones for people who haven't seen these shows, <laughs> but just these key moments. And we've had so many of these in 24, but you would argue there was more of a build-up. Terry's death was kind of a bit of a build-up, right? Like, it's shocking, but there's a build-up to it in the fact that he's running around. You go, I'm like, oh, she's not dead. She's not dead. She's not dead. So there's a build-up to it. You know, Mason, the nuclear bomb, there's a build-up to it. And, you know, they're not going to do it. Oh, you're shocked. Chappelle getting killed like you're shocked like you know like oh they're not going to do it they're not gonna, and they go through it that's what makes them shocking this you know even last season Paul's death Air Force One this is literally out of nowhere there's no warning there's no anything you're just like fuck and then you literally are thinking like he's not dead he's not dead like yeah. this is Palmer like as you said the, outside of Kiefer the biggest 
probably character we've had in this show. It was just groundbreakingly amazing. And just, I, I would argue the most shocking moment in 24 based on the fact that there's no prior warning to this, if that makes sense. So that is where I'd say it. And just the fact that they got Dennis Haysbert to come in and do this. And spoiler alert, this is what we see. This was in the golden age of television and movies when people were killed. They were killed. They yeah. weren't brought back because they needed to boost ratings. You hear his voice in this season, but that's it. No more Palmer. Huggy Bear dead. Um, and I guess we should eulogize him. Well, I don't know if you want to eulogize him with Michelle, because this is really the first major character death we have had since Terry, I would argue, because no disrespect to Chappelle and Mason. But, I mean, yeah. they weren't let's, on the same, you know, caliber as as Palmer. Let's do the eulogies together, because actually one other thing I want to add on um, this scene, uh, that thing with the newspaper, and I don't know what my reaction was at the time. Now I'm looking back on it. As soon as he looks at the newspaper, I'm like, okay, so I, I know that this is where it's going to lead, but I probably didn't pick up on that. But it's still a little thing. That, that, there, there's things that audiences subconsciously pick up on just because you've seen it a million times. And that is, John Cassar handled that in a way where, the audience is thinking, oh, this is going to lead somewhere, which in the back of your mind, subconsciously, you're thinking David's going to continue to play a part in this. The Jack scene, like you said, it's meaningless. It's not like Jack sitting there going to the oil rig and then he looks at the newspaper and he's like, hmm. So, you know, <laughs> oh, there's more to come with him. You've basically told the audience in this scene by David's look and by just the, ent- the entire purpose of the David Wayne scene, there's more to come. And then you literally shoot him in the neck. Um, I think what's so brilliant about this is is the time period it happened in. Game of Thrones popularized this, where now it's done all the time. Like you said, Breaking Bad, everything else. But Game of Thrones became popular for nothing is sacred. Anybody can be killed. But that was also based on books, you know? Like people, it's not like they said, we're going to come up with an idea. We're going to kill our lead two characters in episode nine of 10 episodes in season one. Um now it's sort of become a thing where every TV show does this. But I mean, prior to Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or anything, Lost. I mean, it, this was the first TV show that actually said we will kill a lead character. And yes, other characters do get killed off. Like you look at Terry in season one, that was shocking. But he is the lead, even though he's not in every episode. Even last season, he wasn't in the whole thing. He is still to the audience a lead character. So this would be considered one of two characters that are too sacred to kill off. And if you were ever were going to kill him off, you expect it to be at the end of the season, definitely not the beginning. And what's also very unique about this scene too, which is important to touch on, is you see his assassin straight away. This is, yeah. you know. Oh, some, and some trivia on him. Well, you know what reminds me of, this is a weird comparison, but I think you'll see where I'm going with it. It kind of reminds me of The World Is Not Enough because initially in the in the pre-title sequence, of course, you're meant to see Renard in that first scene, but they deleted mm-hmm. it to kind of have that reveal later on. So I think it's it's interesting that they kind of do this. And and we know, I don't know if this is a trivia you're going with, but you mentioned last season that I initially think planned for this to be Mandy, which I weirdly would have liked. Um, but, I, but at the same time, if it's Mandy and you straight away just see Mandy here, you're just going to be like, oh, Mandy, she got a revenge. Whereas like... Because it's random guy who you don't know who he yeah. is, it adds more intrigue to it, I think. So actually, the trivia I was going to mention was something completely different. Now, this is this is where I don't want to say I dropped the ball, but I have interviewed this guy. Uh, this this actor, Jeff Kober, has been on the show, and he has a 24 connection. On the so, show? What? You mean yes, on the Oz Moonlighting Network. interviews that I didn't know well, about? This way back when we uh, interviewed Leslie Hope in season one, and she promoted a movie oh, that she did. Oh, right. Um we got we got on her and the director, Jerry Chikoridi, and the screenwriter, Jeff Kober. Now, 
the screenwriter Jeff Kober is this guy. And what? Now, obviously, when we did the interview, or I did the interview, you go through the filmography, and I must have missed that 24 was in there. Otherwise, I 100% would have asked. No. You're the guy who killed David Palmer. I'm sorry. I got a minute here. I got that. Like, like no, 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 no. We, this is, okay. Leslie. Love you, Leslie. Like, seriously. So she's gone to these people and said, like, hey, this is a new movie. I just did this show uh, and they talked about my time on 24. Like, this isn't just, like, CTU office worker. This is a guy yeah. who kills David Palmer and Michelle Dessler. Like, shouldn't that click in his head? Like, yeah. well, you know well, that I was on 24 too, right? Oh, were you, John? Oh, well, we should talk about that on the Oz I, Network. What? I thank you, Ben, because here I'm like, I didn't do enough research to look past the filmography to see the one guest spot on 24. I dropped the ball and here you're like, Leslie Hope, Jeff Cobra, you guys dropped the ball. <laughs> no, you knew but, better. <laughs> but, but like, I, I think that... Does Leslie even know that this guy who wrote the movie... Does this guy movie, even know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, with, with Leslie, you know, she was obviously on season one, didn't watch everything, but, like, this guy wrote a movie she produced and was her final starring role in something. But he, when we when I interviewed him, um, it, it, he was basically at somebody's birthday party and had to excuse himself to a car and was running a little bit late and couldn't figure out how to get Zoom working. So, I mean, I'm sure he had a lot of things on his mind, but maybe but, he was even like, who am I talking to? What is this about? But this is where, like, I've got to, because, like, it's not like we had Leslie on to talk about another show completely. We had her on to talk about, like, so she would have had to say, hey, guys, I did this, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll admit yeah. something. When I, when we had Francois Chow on the show, obviously we talked about him at Lost. Now, I went back and I'd, I'd forgotten that he was on 24. But because at that point, it had been a while since I'd done a rewatch. So then when I did my digging and my research, oh, who did he play in 24? Oh, yeah, he played that character. Oh, that was the guy who got killed that kind of set into yeah. motion. So like, I will admit it took me a while to kind of click, 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 click. And okay, bit on your bad there, Colin. But even then, if you had have seen, oh, he was on 24, like you're not straight away going like, this is a very important character. <laughs> like, yeah. get him back on. Leslie, I'm blaming Leslie. And it, it also doesn't help. Get like, on that cougar, Leslie. <laughs> his character's name is never mentioned in this episode. Uh, I don't know if he's mentioned in future episodes or whatever, but I mean, he is just guy with sunglasses. Now, the other bit of trivia of this, which I'll get into more at the end of the episode. I'm blown away that, by that. I'm sorry, but wow. He is the third actor to play this character. They had to reshoot this two different times. Uh, and the reasons behind it, I'll get into later in the episode, but this guy came in as their third choice as the assassin, barely made 24. This was the storyline, like, we're never going to get this episode in the bag because we keep having to replace the actor. Uh, and he comes in, he does it. Obviously, he's a screenwriter now, but he has a lot of acting he's done over the years. But the man who killed David Palmer has been on the Oz Network, and he was not asked about it. So we're, we're getting him back on. I know we say, oh, we got to get this guy, person on. I'm putting that we on you. We have to get Jeff Cobra you, you, on. I'll, I'll do I, it. I'm telling I, you I, right I, now, you, you're like, I do a lot of the legwork on this show. I'm just bragging. <laughs> but you, your goal in the next period of time that you can is to reach out to Leslie and this guy and like, like what's the deal, Leslie? Come on. Uh, and <laughs> love you, Leslie. Well, and I, we, we've got to get him back on because like, seriously, I mean, he might not remember like, Oh yeah, I did that. Uh, I pulled a trigger. <laughs> I ran. Jack killed me. So yeah. Well, the, the, the movie that, uh, that she produced that he wrote to uh, lie exposed did the interview with them. We never actually covered the movie. We can do it on Canada, Australia month he next probably year. probably forgets and- he was in that. <laughs> did you watch it? He's never going to remember us. I did watch the movie. Yeah, it was actually a very interesting movie. It, de- definitely a very Canadian movie. So I, I hope that the suite hereafter maybe will you know get you used to some of the 
the art house Canadian uh, cinema, so you can get you'll like it. There's a lot of sex in Lie Exposed. The fighting uh, and a lot of movies about sex. A lot of fighting, yes. But anyways, we'll, we will cycle back and talk. Does this to guy Jeff have Cooper sex with Leslie it. Hope's character? He's not even in the movie. He just wrote it. Actually, oh. I think he has a cameo in it. But uh, oh, but he doesn't remember. He probably shoots someone and then just does a runner. The, the the plot for the movie came about because he did like a <laughs> photography class where he took nude pictures or something like that. So I, give you an idea. I'm <laughs> sorry. Like we, you think about, we recently discovered on 007 that basically what Lani Hall and what's a phase like a married to Albert, yeah, two freaking Bond singers are technically married. Now we've discovered that we've interviewed David Palmer's assassin on this show. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden you're like, oh, remember that guy we got on that one time? You know he played Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. <laughs> Wow. How, how did we not bother to ask that guy that that played James Bond and Dr. No about James Bond? We spent the whole time talking about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Scene, how did we forget about James Bond? Scene Connery was his name, was it? I don't know. <laughs> know that um, Anyways, yeah. Donald Trump. I think he was president of the United States, was he? Oh, and we, we only asked him about Home Alone, Lost in New York. What is wrong with us? <laughs> if you anyway. Got, if you actually, uh, anyway, sorry, move on. Uh, we're going to have to r- rush through some of the stuff here. The rest of the 15 minutes here. Okay, so David Schott, we'll eulogize him in a second. Um, uh, CTU immediately is on this. I think this is after a commercial break. Colin, uh, you got Colin, your- I'm sorry to drive this out longer. Three minutes have passed, <laughs> and Fox News already have breaking news. Palmer has been shot and assassinated, to which we then get a report about five minutes later. We don't have much details on hand. How do you know? He like, I'm sorry. Yeah. He's not even being pronounced dead yet. Like, freaking. This is this is Wayne beginning his campaign. Yeah. He's like, oh, Fox News. David was just shot. I'll be running for president in four years. I'm that's, sorry. That's president I'm Kennedy live on TV. You saw his brains explode out of his head. <laughs> and yet the guy was still pronounced dead like hours later. Like, uh, I'm sorry, Fox News. Well, yeah, like. And, and I don't know, what, was he actually shot in the neck or is it the head here? It's shot in the throat, like the his one? throat like Adam's okay. apple. So it's splattered. Even if it is the head, paramedics are not pronouncing him dead three minutes later. They're like, this is former president of the United States. Keep doing the CPR. Maybe maybe we'll come up with the technology to revive his the, throat the, in the next three the minutes. The thing that I'm concerned about is you see the phone call to Mike, which I guess would be probably realistic because I'm sure a Secret Service agent would be on site and he'd be like, ring the presence. That's probably the first thing you call. Because, I mean, Keith and Nicole, they're off doing some shit. Who knows? Um, and it's a national security advice, right? So that's realistic. But by the time they then cut to CTU, they're running around like headless chickens. Oh, shit. President's dead. President's dead. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you got break. Like, this is, again, 24's got a 24. It's got to do it. It's got to move the plot along. But it's just like, it's just like, give it another five minutes. Like, <laughs> I mean, even 9-11, they were there already. It took, like, all the news stations at least five or so minutes ago. I'll oh, just break news. A plane's crashing. Into the That's a bit weird. We'll cross for that now. But as as ridiculous as what's going to happen here with everybody's reaction, because you mentioned about the news. Forget that. We, we catch up with CTU here. You know, we get Edgar and Curtis and Bill, and then we get the conference call with Logan. And it's basically like, all right, how do you not have a suspect in custody? Like, Logan's like, how is this guy still out there? And they're like, oh, we're, we're, we've got really good leads. We're working on it. It seems ridiculous that they would expect that that quickly. Because I don't think Lee Harvey Oswald was not apprehended that quickly. You know, John Wilkes Booth was days later. But this helps the episode because this tells you how a famous screenwriter, Colin. So, <laughs> but uh, but 
it, it really makes David that much of a bigger character. Yeah. Because somebody else is like, we've seen, we have no leads and a nuclear bomb is about to detonate and there's not this much urgency. This is arguably the most urgency we've ever seen in 24. And More than David, a nuclear, two sitting, nuclear bombs. Yeah, <laughs> but this is not even a sitting president. And that that is what makes David's death so epic. Yeah. Because agreed. it's the aftermath of it. Oh, um, the reactions. Get, oh, Jax. It, this, um, this conference call that we get... Uh, with Logan, now, this is a, a great bit of trivia here. You know, sometimes you you see a set and you know that's a set. And we we praise like the CTU set, like it it doesn't look like a set. It's one of those spectacular sets you've ever seen. But Logan's room here, you know, to me that looks like a location. Like it, it is very convincing light. It's actually a set. Not only is it a set, no. it is literally on the other side of the wall from the CTU set. So really? much so that this these conference calls. They film them at the same time. So when you're seeing Bill on the video wall that Logan's looking at, and then the other way around, they have a camera positioned on both of these actors on the other side of the wall. So they're doing this scene live. Wow. And I was shocked when I found that out because yeah. I thought that Logan's room there, you know, especially with all the windows and everything, was 100% a location. But it, Me too. He's, you, know, you could shout over the wall. You could climb over the wall and you could see him right there. But uh uh, yeah, the urgency here is still great. Um, there's talk about whether we should call off the uh, the treaty with the Russians, and obviously that's going to be too important. Now we get Chloe's introduction. Hmm. Chloe in her panties. Um, now, here, here's the thing. Not an unattractive woman, but I don't think that many – that's kind of the point of this episode. You don't look at Chloe and think, oh, yeah, every guy's going to be sleeping with her. That's the point of the scene here. But – Wow, Kiefer Sutherland, John Cassar, and Howard Gordon, they are fans of Chloe. Like, there was a lot of talk in the commentaries ogling Chloe, and it's like, yeah, she's hot now. Look at her. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, it could just be the makeover from season one to season five they're looking at, but there's definitely some fans on the crew of Mary Lynn here. Uh, but she yeah, she's good. getting out of bed. What's that? She looks good. Yeah. I mean, she, she, it's definitely a huge improvement over season three. They're they're trying to sex up her look a little bit. She's having sex now, so it's appropriate. She's in bed with a much younger man, Spencer. Um, Spencer. Spencer's a character. I this is one of those moments, not like Jamie, where it's like, who is? It? Oh no, this was like, who is this guy again? Oh yeah, him. Like it's, mm. he definitely plays a part in the season, but like I feel like he, let's not completely spoil this, but I mean, oh, he's there breakfast. as the, yeah, pancakes too. Nice. Oh, mom, thanks. Uh, and Jack gets pancakes too, I think. So uh, I'm having the Jack Bauer breakfast here. The one oh, breakfast. Oh, head Rob. <laughs> oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> but uh, this guy, it's like, he, he amounts to something in the show. And then you're like, oh, oh yeah, this is like the sort of a mole, but not really a mole. And then he just sort of disappears. Yeah. Uh, he's here to make you think this is the next, you know, Nina or whoever else. How you uh, felt about Sarah last season is how I feel about Spencer. Oh, nothing, Spencer. He's forgettable. He's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's Spencer. not bad for what he's here for. I mean, he's the younger guy for Chloe to sleep with. Uh, they get called into work. They have a bit of an awkward conversation here. Uh, I, I love, though, where um, she's saying, to arrogance doesn't turn me on, Spencer. A lot of women go for that, but arrogance doesn't turn me on. Like, her personality has not changed in any way. Uh, everybody receives the news uh, about um, the Palmer death or whatever. Obviously, they're called to work. Now we catch up with Jack. He was watching Aww. the news and crying over it. Like this is a pro we go from that last scene to this. And I feel like if he didn't have that last goodbye scene in season four, this wouldn't have worked. You would feel like, why is he crying? But that was the only time where they talk as friends really in the show. And if you're watching this chronologically, it is the next scene really that you have. Uh, Jack crying just makes total sense here. And then 
Connie Britton knocks on the door, oh, so he pulls a gun. <laughs> she'd knock on my door. Now, she was not yet a big deal. This uh, episode, where are we at? 2006 here when this one airs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was just later this year, I think, when Friday Night Lights would start, which is what made her a huge deal. But, I mean, she'd done some stuff. Uh, I had recognized her from because she was on the first few seasons of Spin City. She wasn't exactly the most memorable character on Spin City, but it was definitely like, oh, yeah, it's that woman who was on Spin City here. <laughs> Watching this in 2006... Couldn't have cared less. Now she's Connie Britton. She's 911's Connie Britton. 911's Connie Britton. Um, the Leslie Hope of 911. Uh, although she de- technically come back for that. But well, Friday Night Lights. I mean, I'd never really watched it, but that Nashville show was huge. I mean, you could legitimately say she is the queen of television. American Horror Story. Over the last American Horror Story. Like everything that she's done has just been like massive followings. There's even another show that she did recently, which I saw was like an HBO show I wanted to check out. But I mean, she's a huge deal now. So now when you go back, you're like, well, this, this should be a bigger deal, but it's just so like, Oh, Hey, um, so you hear about the news. That's really sad. Hey, since you're not working, want to come back? Sure. Uh, it's just sort of like blink and you miss it. She does have a couple episodes here, but I mean, this, they would not have gotten Connie Britton a year later, let alone 15 years she's, later. She's, I think, isn't she kind of renowned as the queen of doing one season of a show and then just leaving? Like, I think that's kind of her MO nowadays because, uh, she won season of American Horror Story. I think she came, I mean, generally it's obviously an anthology, so it kind of makes sense, but she came back for like a cameo in a later season, but then 911, I think. She was almost billed as the main star ahead oh, yeah. of Angela Bassett sort of before when that started. Um, and then she just disappeared. And I, I always confused me because she's so written out ambiguously in that show. And then I'm thinking like, are they ever going to bring her back? And then they eventually do like, I think like two or three seasons later to kind of tie up a storyline. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I knew her from, cause I did watch Spin City sporadically. So I think I kind of, when I saw her in this, I was kind of like, oh, I know her. Like she was in something. But then I don't really think I, because I've never watched Friday Night Lights, but then I think I then fell in love with her in American Horror Story because she's with um Paul McDermott. Like they're married. And then um, Tassa Flamingo, whatever the, oh, love her. Mm. Um, So uh, yeah, but I mean, for somebody who I honestly have not really seen in like, I've seen in, like four things, three things. I love this woman. Like she, she's she's TV's Renee Russo. She's Renee yeah, Russo of television. Exactly. Just saying that right now. Everything she does is great. We didn't even mention People versus OJ Simpson. She oh, had yeah. you know, smaller role, but pivotal role in that. Um, prior to this, really outside of Spin City, the biggest thing she'd done was the Friday Night Lights movie. She played the same role in the Friday Night Lights movie, the, the wife of the coach. But in the movie, she's in like two or three scenes, whereas in the TV show, it's a major role. And this is actually interesting because kind of a Kiefer connection here. The 2000 remake of The Fugitive, uh, Kiefer would do the most recent remake of The Fugitive. Mm. But in 2000, it did a remake of The Fugitive TV series. Oh, I didn't know and that. she she played the dead wife. Uh, so again, small role, but important role. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about Connie throughout she, the season here. She only has 732,000 followers on Instagram. Make her get a million on Instagram. Although I do see here that Sarah Clark follows Connie Britton. Doesn't that make oh, you feel good. a little bit happier? Oh. <laughs> but does, uh, what was Roger Cross? Uh, I don't know if I, I know. Marilyn Radskip does. Uh, oh, Xander good. Berkeley does. Joe. Joe Biden follows Connie Britton. There you go. I literally, so in order of followers, it's showing on my screen of people that I follow, Xander Berkeley, Colin Hilding, Joe Biden. Uh, Oh, Amy Carlson, Deborah Messing. Oh, look at this. 
Joy, Kiva doesn't. Kiva's. <laughs> He's over her. Joe Biden follows Connie Britton. Oh, that makes me smile. National treasure. Uh, but um, yeah, she basically invites him for Connie breakfast. Doesn't, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Connie follows nobody on Instagram. Connie Britton <laughs> is the type of person that doesn't need to follow anyone. She's Connie you Britton. You all follow me. I'm the queen. You follow me. <laughs> like, Joe Biden follows people, but Connie Britton? I'm not following you back, Joe. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> She's I voted a, for Trump. <laughs> she's the biggest badass on Instagram. I literally love like her first picture there. It's just her sitting in a chair. She's queen. Queen Connie. Doesn't give a shit. I'm not following anyone. I'm Connie Britton. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the new Tom Cruise. I'm Connie Britton. <laughs> she she just walks into a shop and just demands shit. Doesn't have to pay for it. I'm Connie Britton. Hi. There's welcome a- to McDonald's, Connie Britton. Thanks. Big Mac. Now. Here it is. Free. I'm Connie Britton. That's when you get Tom Cruise meeting up with her at like the Oscars or something. It's like, hey, listen, I'd really love it if you follow me on Instagram. I'm a big fan. Can you just give me a follow back? And she's like, I'm Connie Britton and just walks away from Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, the whole like, uh, what is it? Um, oh, uh, oh, I can't remember what I'm trying to think of, but it's just, yeah, literally, it's just, I want a t shirt now that just says, yes, I'm Connie Britton. I'm Connie Britton. <laughs> You know what? We, 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 it became an unfortunate thing. I, I don't even remember how the joke started. The Connie Britton has AIDS last season. Oh. Uh, we needed something to replace that because I told Jamie about the Connie Britton has AIDS. Like, how could you say that? You love Connie Britton. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it, it was a joke and somehow it started, but now it's a race. I'm Connie Britton. Johnny, J- Johnny, Joe Biden follows 107 people. One of them is Connie Britton. <laughs> and Connie Britton doesn't. I'm trying to see. Does he follow other actors? He follows Mark Hamill. He follows <laughs> Billie Eilish. Uh, oh, you lost me, Joe. He fo- Joe, no! Biden, Joe Biden follows Deborah Messing. Uh, <laughs> there you go. He has a type, redheaded middle aged women. <laughs> I, I, I'm blown away by that. Connie Britton is just, just like, fuck you all. I'm not following anyone. Like, <laughs> Joe Biden follows Jennifer Garner. So, um, wow. Follows Michelle Kwan. He's definitely got a type. Connie Britton, fuck you all. I'm not following anyone. Zero following. This is crazy. Not even her Friday Night Light people. The Friday Night Light cast is like notoriously like extremely tight even to this day. And she's like, I'm not following any of you back. You follow me. I'm Connie Britton. (laughs) What what a woman. What a woman. I I just, you know, Barack Obama follows nine people. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Probably the most famous person on the planet follows more people. Think, does Connie Britton not have a husband or children or like, you know, like a dog account, uh, her agent. <laughs> Even her dog. I'm going to create an account. My dog will follow me. I do not follow the dog. <laughs> like if there's a percentage of people who like, like a, a, a like, like followers to following ratio, right? Like, I don't know who's like, isn't um, Taylor Swift probably, or Justin Bieber, the most followed person on Instagram. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. I'm sure even they like follow people. Right? I like. We'll probably never get Connie Britton on the show. We got Fran Dresser on the show. If we got Connie Britton on the show, Connie, thanks to the Oz Network, great having you. First question: Will you follow us on Instagram? <laughs> One follower, the Oz Network. You, you can unfollow us before the show's over. We just want that screenshot. <laughs> oh, I love this woman. Love her. Uh, all right, we're gonna have to rush through some of this. Um, anyway, so she invites him for breakfast. We get introduced to Derek here. Now, the funny thing is, I, I don't remember disliking Derek in any way. In fact, I remember kind of when you would go back and not make like a rank, and be like, oh yeah, all of the kid characters, like 
you know, Lucas Haas and uh, um, Kyle and everything from all the, the early seasons. I would always feel like he's not Beirut, but he's definitely not the bottom of the barrel. But uh, even in episode one, yeah, I'm way more on board with him than I think I would have been originally. But the crazy thing is I always thought that this was Thomas Decker, who's the kid who plays John Connor in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I even remember watching the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I think started maybe a couple months after this, mm. or maybe even around the same time thinking, oh, it's the same kid. Like they don't really look that much alike, but I think just lack of young actors around this age playing similar roles. I just assumed it was the same guy, but completely, this guy, Brady Corbett, completely different. Although uh, he's actually directed a movie, which I'm sure you've watched. He's okay, more of a director now. Well, um, the movie he directed, <laughs> terrible movie, Vox Lux, the Natalie Portman uh, not singer one. It. I've seen 13, funnily enough, that I'm seeing here. Was he in that, though, not directing it? Sarah Clark's yeah. in that. Oh, was she? Did she have a major role? Or do uh, we have to I cover think so. It? I think she's like the friend of the mum. Because isn't the mum played by somebody quite famous in 13? It's Evan Rachel Wood, like when, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah I've never Holly seen Hunter. 13. Uh, I'm sure it's better than Vox Lux, though. Uh, sorry, Brady. But um, yeah, I like though the just the dynamic they establish because the way they introduce him is totally different what you're going to get even the next scene. Like here, it's like, oh, great. He's he's Kyle Singer. He's the douchey teenager drinking from the carton. And uh, uh, you know, the mom says, I really wish you wouldn't do that. And then Jack politely had, tries to hand him a cup and he's just starts drinking from the carton again. Um, do you drink? Are you a carton drinker? You live by yourself, so you must be. Uh, I don't. Uh, drink milk. I don't. I can't on my diet. Um, juice. Anything? Uh, I can't drink juice. Uh, if I when, when I've got cartons or bottles, like yeah, I'll, like if I just want a sip, like I'll just get it out. But if I, I want a glass, I'll get it. I'm a, I'm a both. I'm a you know it depends on the mood guy. Yeah, like it, it depends on how much you want to have. Because yeah. uh, if yeah, I exactly. if if you just want to sip, like sometimes you just want to sip of something. Now, the the funny thing is when I live by myself if I had like a juice jug like this, you'd always drink out of it because you're usually only taking a couple sips. You're not going to have like 500 milliliters of juice or maybe some people do. Uh, But since we've had kids, the funny thing is I will do this because I don't want to dirty another glass. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, but I don't put my mouth because other people are drinking. So I don't put my mouth. So what I'll do is I'll pour it in. I'll just hold it as carefully as I can and pour a little bit in my mouth. But Casper picked up on that and started trying to do it. Now, luckily we have like a juice jug that kind of locks, like you turn it. So he was doing it. Nothing was coming out. But Jamie's like, you're going to have to stop uh, pouring from the jug into your mouth. Um, but but so I, th- the way they introduce his character, you think he's going to be completely different from what he is. Um, and uh, he's asking about the Alaskan oil rig he worked on and questioning him and saying, oh, yeah, funny, because this person worked on Alaskan oil rig and they don't know you. I was like, well, it's a very big rig. Uh, and now we catch up with Michelle and Tony, who are domesticated couple oh, running their business. Out looking good. All right. Yeah. What is their business? I mean, they're, they're meeting with Rick Rosen. Looks like a B and B. I'm like, I, I just assume they run like a hotel or a resort. <laughs> or, I don't know. It looks fancy, but um, I, I would assume they're putting their skills to use. So they have a CTU, so maybe it's like a, they they consult on security or something, or maybe they're completely removed from that. I don't know. Be Making cub mugs. You got cubby here. Yeah, Prominent exactly. Role cubby well, here. They have a presentation they're making um, and they were going to cancel it after they find out the news and and even their reactions. Like, I think this this is one of the cool things in the commentary is they talked about, you know, audiences got very upset when you killed Michelle and David. But they're like, believe it or not, it's harder for us because these are our friends. And and even Kiefer, Kiefer is not in the scene, but he went to the set the day that, that uh, Dennis Haysbert's scene was filmed and gave him a hug. And they even got a picture because he's like, this is my work for this is my other cast member i'm gonna be here for this he wasn't there for tony and michelle scene though uh, <laughs> maybe he's not as close <laughs> fuck <enough>. you raiko 
Yeah. He was too busy with a Christmas tree that day. But uh Connie Britton would have showed up. <laughs> no, no, she, she wouldn't, wouldn't have. have. <laughs> Connie, she walks up to the opposite. set. Who's dying? Rayco? I'm Connie Britton. <laughs> Just walks off. But um uh yeah, I mean this they, you could tell this is a big deal. And like even the way they're playing the scene, you could tell Rayco's filming it like this is her last scene. Like Oh no, this is important that we have to do this. And it's written obviously as her last scene. Um, but uh, you know, Carlos was gonna have another scene to come up. But the way they're sort of questioning, hey, I know we we didn't question walk away from CTU, but this is something that our experiences needed for. I'm going. And then you have Tony being like, Yeah, Rick, Michelle's not gonna make it. She's got something important to do. And then you get this moment, a little bit cheesy, but again, because you kind of know like oh, these characters, these are important. And on second thought, I'm going to <laughs> just hangs up the phone, but then boom, the whole car explodes. Now, great work from John Kassar here because, uh, and this is one of these things where I noted how effective it was. And then the commentary, they talk about, it, it's like, no, we fought for this. You were supposed to see her get in the car. And then there was an explosion, but instead you never see it. You see her obviously get in the car, but the explosion is done from inside the house and you just see the windows blown out. And that was what John Kassar fought for. And apparently it was a very, pretty hard fight. Kiefer was saying, um, Specifically, that like John was like, no, you need to see this off screen, not because we want to bring the character back, but because it'll be more of a surprise. Audiences are tuned in enough, especially after David's death, where maybe they're a little bit on guard. They're not maybe not expecting you're going to kill another main character. But if you film that in a way where you're seeing her get in the car, you're waiting for something to happen. You film it inside the house and it catches them off guard. And that's what works so well about this. So, I mean, in a million years, you never expected them to kill David. You definitely didn't expect them to kill Michelle. Um, I guess we'll also move this along. We'll eulogize both characters. Um, I, I think both characters establish themselves despite bad storylines. You know, the Tony and Michelle storyline, it is cheesy in season two, but it worked because of the actors. And uh, even one of the commentaries, they're talking about like these two, they just knew this relationship from the beginning. Like I think it was John saying it. And he talked about that in the, the reunion episode that uh, that you had with him, that he pinpointed this from day one. These are the characters, find something for them to do. You didn't have to write. You never had to write anything for Tony and Michelle. Their chemistry was just there, and you got the relationship. The little looks that they had or the way that they stood next to each other, whether there was tension or not, it was just perfect. And the storylines they had, particularly in season three, obviously there was a lot more drama introduced, but I'm still standing by season four. Ricky Ellsworth, best performance of that season. Like She is the star of that season, behind Logan. But really, the star of that season, I never expected going back on the rewatch that she would have stood out as much as she did for performances. Um, and David, you know, obviously the Palmer drama, it, the Palmer drama never quite, sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't, but like he always stood out and he made it work. So as bad as some of those storylines are the, that Tony and, or I guess Michelle and uh, Palmer have been involved in over the years, the actors made it work so perfectly that you don't look back on it the way you do Kim and the Cougar, even if some of the stuff was just as bad. I'll just go over a couple of things quickly here before I get to that. Um, and I'll be quick because I know you you got to eat your pancakes, clearly. Um, Kiefer, Kiefer crying over Palmer is just a little moment. Like, because I think, like, as you said, like, yeah, that scene at the end of last season. But, like, I think it's more than that. Like, season one, like, always holds a dear place in my heart. And you know that whole season is basically about Palmer trying to be assassinated. So I think kind of, you know, the long-term fans, I think you need a moment like this. Um, you know, it's it's brief and you don't have time to really dwell on it. You're not going to have Kiefer going back to season two, Kiefer hugging a picture of Palmer. How do I live? Um, so, yeah, but I think it's it's important to have, and I love that kind of little moment. 
Chloe and Spencer, I mean, it's quirky. It's Chloe, you know, sure. She's going to find out she's married later on this season, but obviously formally married, I guess. Um, but uh, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, married people sleeping with other people. Gosh. Oh, never happened. Well, phew, don't know what you're talking about. Um, but Connie Britton's beautiful face opening that door. <laughs> Frank, I see your truck going there. Well, fuck you. I'm Connie Britton. <laughs> Make your own breakfast. <laughs> breakfast is ready. Not for you. <laughs> I just, I, you know what she really should have done? She really, listen, since you're not working, would you like to come over for breakfast? Yeah, what are you making? No, what are you making? <laughs> yeah. Come over and make me breakfast. I'm Connie Britton. Um, oh, thank you. Speaking of water, which, you're Connie this. Britton. Connie just Britton walked in with this. your water. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll talk much about Derek in the coming weeks because, yeah, like, he's sort of, he's a bit weedy looking and he's a bit annoying, you know, and. Clearly this, like, I hate I hate it in TV shows and movies and you can so obviously tell something is empty. Like, oh, I've got a coffee cup. Or this. So obvious this carton of orange juice is empty. <laughs> it's not even trying to hide it. Um, spent all their money on the explosions. But, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, nice setup scene for them. And obviously, you know, again, it's just, it's just ambiguous Jack stuff. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, because usually this part where it's, where's the drum? How's Jack going to get involved in this storyline? He's domesticated alive yeah. with Connie Britton and weedy little orange juice kid. Um and this scene with Michelle, I mean, God, again, can I say Rekka Ellsworth? Looking amazing here. Uh, how are they not gushing over what she's looking like here? Sorry, Marilyn Radjkub. Go charge you $800 a ticket for your comedy show. I'm paying $800 to see Rekka Ellsworth dressed like this. Um, and Carlos Bernard, looking pretty good too. Flavor Saver quite prominent going on there. Um, but, yeah, you're right. This scene was just shocking. And, like, I think it just at this point I'm like, oh, my, oh my God, we're not even halfway through this episode. What's going to happen? Um, so it's just like, wow. And, again, I... I agree with John Cazar. I think it works better off screen so you don't see it. Yeah. And just the moment when you kind of see Tony like cradling Michelle and then the extra mm. explosion. Oh, that's an image that, that like nobody forgets. If I have a criticism though, and this is definitely, we're going down this garden path with Tony because it starts from here. It's, I don't actually know if you ever officially hear them say that Michelle is dead because you obviously hear them say, Tony is being brought in. So I'm pretty sure you never get confirmation that Michelle's dead maybe for maybe until Tony wakes up and looks at the file because this is like, it's obvious with Palmer, but like this is where like maybe I could see the Fox executives arguing that, oh, if you don't see it happen, you know, the, the rule golden rule of television or movies is if you don't see your body, are they really dead? I know you see Michelle's body here. But, like, this is where I think Tony as a character starts to really get screwed because, like, I legitimately watched this live. I thought Tony was dead too. Um, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, imagine that. Like, in a way, in a weird way, given that Tony's character from this point, argue, doesn't really need to happen anymore. Kill them both off here. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. You're right. You touched on a little bit. I know a lot of fans were annoyed about this. Uh, Like, shocking. But there were definitely a lot of fans who were, you know, pissed off at how they just, you know, dusted their hands with Palmer and Michelle, particularly Palmer. Neither have got a silent clock. Shall we just uh, point that out? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's so effective and so amazing and, you know, deliberately ambiguous with Tony because, I, I mean, I'm sure maybe they didn't even know what they are going to do with Tony this season. I do not believe the bullshit that you will get from the creators of this show for their reasoning later on this season of, oh, there wasn't a silent clock because we didn't know what we were going to do with Tony. Fuck off. I, I do not believe that to a moment because I, yeah. I do not 100% believe you thought you were going to bring him back in a later season. Anyway, 
whole other point. Eulogizing the pair. I mean, I know we had our somewhat differences over the Palmer drama in season one. I think that for the most part, like a lot of people have those rose tinted glasses on Palmer as a great president, great character, everything. Cause he brought so much to this show and we talked about it back then. Maybe we didn't talk about it enough of how groundbreaking it was to have a, an African American president portrayed on, on a major television show. I know we sort of had Morgan Freeman on deep impact a few years prior to this, but I don't think there was too many portrayals of an African American as a, as a U.S. president back in the media back then. And a lot of people did jokingly say this was a show that helped Barack Obama become president. So it was a big deal. Obviously we've kind of picked apart that in the hindsight, Palmer kind of shit president, but like, I think what makes him so endearing and so memorable, and it doesn't really matter that he's like letting bombs off and all this kind of stuff is that he's so likable Dennis Haysbert and Dennis Haysbert would be a great politician because he's got that personality about him that he's endearing as it. So if you're going to pick a person to play a president, it's him. Like, you know, people always vote favorite, presidents, fictional presidents, movies, TV, and Palmer's always in the top five, top 10, always. Um, and when it comes to television presidents, he's often only always number two behind um, Martin Sheen in, in the West mm-hmm. Wing. So um, iconic, amazing. And I mean, look, yeah, could he have had a better send off, better death? Of course he could. But at the same time, this is 24. Like he wasn't a major character since season three. He had a couple of episodes last season. So like, why not do this? And like, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Like sometimes it's, Perfect. Sometimes you need to just randomly kill a person, a major character off this quickly. Like I just, I don't know. I'm completely fine with it. Michelle, look, I've always loved Michelle and Michelle's got such a presence on this show that you often forget she's not in season one. And I think that the sad part for me that gets forgotten about by a lot of 24 fans who maybe just remember it more from the latter part is that, you know, yeah, Michelle's got a legacy with Tony constantly with his actions. Oh, it's because of Michelle. It's because of Michelle. So you could argue that. And you'd argue that Palmer loosely gets forgotten about in the second half of this series as well. But I, I feel Michelle sometimes does get lost in the fray of memories from some people. And I've always been such a Michelle fanboy. I love her character. I love Rako Owlsworth. I think she's arguably the best director of CTU. Uh, so many different things that I think she just works so well with. So I love her. I, I mean, I'd slightly argue that Kim Raver maybe to me was the star of last season. We didn't really talk about that, but I'm biased as well. But I de- totally get what you're saying here. And... Yeah, I mean, sad that she's gone and, and she doesn't even get a voice anything more. This is purely it for Michelle. She's completely done now for 24. And again, Ray Cowsworth, as we talked about in a couple of episodes ago, baffles me that she never went on to be like this massive star. So, um, yeah, rip Michelle and rip Palmer. And they are literally are ripped because their guts are everywhere. <laughs> Um, going through the other stuff here, kind of group CTU and uh, the Logan stuff together. To save Jack uh, for something uh, on his own here, but um, uh, Edgar, uh, when Spencer comes in, he's basically explaining to him, "Oh yeah, the Edgar's you uh, here." <laughs> yeah, so uh, somebody died. Oh, Michelle Dessler, she was a good friend of mine. Like he is not broken above this the way he was. Six with minutes mom. later, be with how do they? How do they? Six know? minutes. <laughs> Six minutes later, they already know. I don't know how, but they know. They're a spy agency. Of course, they know. Um, there's, uh, uh, I guess I'll, I'll save the, the Chloe stuff, um, separately here. Uh, 
Bill gets called out of the meeting because there's DOD liaisons here. Now, this is one part where I'm like, okay, I get why you do this because the audience may not know who's coming back. But when they just say, excuse me, sir, the Department of Defense liaison is here. Oh, good. I will go see the Department of Defense liaison who is completely unnamed right now. Huh. You want the dramatic reveal. Yeah. And then you get oh. uh, Audrey walking in, which it, it's a great reveal. Like, again, it if you know what they're going for as an audience reaction, it works. Um, does it make sense in the story why they're referring to the Department of Defense liaison? No. Uh, it's very much like, who would that be? Oh, I know the her you're talking about. Uh, there is uh, talk here about the, the treaty um, postponement still. And uh, I guess now the, the, the Logan stuff. So we get introduced to uh, Martha cross-cutting with the Logan press conference here. Now, this is completely bare. I'm going to say maybe the greatest introduction to a character ever. And, and yet... I'm saying that now having known how it all plays out and not the way it was. Cause like you, I sort of watch this. I'm like, what, why are they bringing this type of character in here? Are we just going to be getting this as like the, the, the flip side to like the Palmer drama and everything, the Logan drama. Uh, but the way that she's introduced where she's making herself up and she's complaining, she looks like a wedding cake. And then they do this thing, which I, I never would have picked up on the first time around. Um, the way that she, dunks her head in the sink, which is like, it very much catches you off guard. And this is the first sign where you're like, oh, so this character is kind of a little bit loopy, right? Uh, she just dunks her head in the sink. And then her assistant, what, Evelyn, her assistant was like, Miss Logan or whatever. But it's the music cue. And Sean Callery basically plays this like a horror movie. It's like, dun, dun, like, and I'm like, whoa, what was that? And I noticed throughout this episode multiple times where he uses like this really unsettling horror mu music Every time Martha's doing something just a little bit unsettling, where I'm like, wow, Sean. Like it's got like that little squeaky. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very psycho-ish. And I, obviously Gene Smart deserves a ton of credit. She deserves an Emmy and everything. But the reason that the audience buys into this character, I think, is because Gene Smart doesn't have to spell everything out. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm off my medication. Like we get that one mention later on. But you know who this character is because Sean Callery tells you. And it's got to be one of the best uses of music in all of 24. Uh, and here when, she, when Walt comes in and breaks the news to her, which by the way, Walt was a character, they actually had written this as a completely different, they wanted a new character. And then afterwards they're like, well, that guy, like the last season, you know, sure the audience kind of, you know, would think why would this guy be kept around because he ordered Jack's death, but that maybe fits into our plans of the season better. Uh, so they decided to bring him back very last minute here. Uh, but he comes in and breaks the news to her and then, then as she's going to talk to Logan, who's in the middle of a press conference, again, the music, it's like this action music. Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's like very exciting and very like, oh, somebody's about to get stabbed. Uh, and you just buy the tension of the situation that this very unpredictable, unstable first lady is about to walk into an extremely important press conference on the most important day of her husband's presidency and disrupt it as the, this, this mess of a woman. It's just, it's handled so perfectly. Um, and, uh, when, when she gets interrupted on the way here, I love that she has that line. It's like, I will have your family eating dog food out of a can. Like just brilliant dialogue here. Uh, he does go in later on, I guess, to wrap up the Logan stuff. And he talks to her and these two characters together, like, again, this is just two extremely experienced actors. Emmy, did Greg Ritson win for this season or did he was nominated? No, and I'll correct myself too. Gene Smart also didn't win. I'm, I'm pretty sure actually I think it's only Cherry Jones ended up winning a guest boxer. Greg Ritson, oh, I believe, didn't win one as well. She was nominated twice. 
Okay, well, I mean, deserved, but uh, maybe not seriously, for season the, six, but at least for this season. <laughs> uh, Storylines aside, I mean, her performance is incredible, and very few actors can do something like this. This is a very tricky character to pull off, and this is one of the other things they talk about in the commentary, where they weren't sold on this storyline. Like, nobody was convinced that this would work doing this, oh, they've got the mentally unstable spouse and this is just going to be a side plot. And the the way that Gene Smart and Greg Rietzen together made this work, and this is what works about their scene together, is their chemistry is so incredible to watch. Yeah. And they didn't have a chance to build. This isn't like Tony and Michelle where they had little bits and pieces here and there. They're thrown in in scene one and you know that they have to last an entire season. And the way that he handles her, it doesn't feel like a president, you know, with his unstable wife. It feels like a guy who actually is concerned for his wife, but still has a job to do. And Gregory Itzen is maybe the greatest actor in the history of 24. And I mean, he, he proves it here doing something completely different. I mean, we're seeing Logan as a president in this season, even when he came in earlier on, he kind of, Talk about, oh, my chair needs to be out. My chair, Walt, my chair. <laughs> like, I love the way he delivered that line. It's a small detail that still tells you as nice as you see Logan and as presidential as you see him throughout the course of the season, him with that line, my chair, you're like, oh, there's still like a vanity side to him. You know, <laughs> uh, he has to make sure his chair is higher, which actually, this has got to be a real thing. I mean, people go into uh, debates and stuff like that and probably worried, all right, so this guy's three inches taller, so I want to have my platform or his platform lowered or my platform raised or something like that. Um, but other than this, really all you get from Martha is her alluding towards, I know why he was killed. He called me and he wanted to tell me something very important. And this is obviously going to be tied up uh, you know, by the end of the season. This is what the thing looking at the newspaper is going to be about, but we don't quite know what it is yet. And, and another thing that I think has to be executed the right way is that you have very subtly established there's a few screw looses with Martha. So what she's saying, the audience is, is at least half buying what she's saying, but they're also half doubting, oh, this is just this character. Yeah, and I think... I see the connection like with the Palmer drama stuff, but I, you, you never... You don't think there's something off with Sherry until a few episodes in. Like, it's sort of... I think at least with the Palmer stuff, there was a building, whereas this is like the opening fucking scene. You're like, well, something's not all right here. Um, and I agree with, like, the chemistry between her and Gregory Itzen is incredible. And, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I know she was in things. Like, I think she was in Garden State with Natalie Portman, if I'm not mistaken. I think she was, uh, like, Sweet Home Alabama... I think she was in a sitcom in the eighties, from what I'm reading here. So designing women, yeah, it's it's my favorite thing. Uh, it's not. It's like that's better than women talking. Designing women <laughs> sounds good to me. I'm on board. Um, but like I'm, I'm. Was this what really? Because she's gone on to bigger and better things, and I'm pretty sure I remember like this show helping her at least. I mean, I don't know how much of a big name she was before 24. Like somewhat of a big name. But like, well, I'm pretty sure after this, this led to her getting a lot more attention. And now she, she's gone on to win Emmys and I think Golden Globes. She does that Hackers show or whatever it's called now, doesn't she? Like, and she's, she, every time she's attached to a project, she, it's Gene Smart. And I remember for a large period of time, it was always 24's Gene Smart. The, um, the, the TV show, um, uh, uh, Designing Women, yeah. That was like... It was like your mom's sitcom, you know? <laughs> it was mostly middle-aged, Southern women, very successful and everything. And 
I my mom would watch that show and I wouldn't really get it. I still don't get the appeal of the show, but again, I wasn't the audience for it. But that show was like like very big here. Like I, I remember not really being the right demographic for it, still knowing this is one of the most popular shows on TV. But following that, she's just sort of became like TV movies and then yeah, supporting roles in some major movies. But um obviously this is what put her back on the map and and made her a much bigger deal than she was uh, even back in the 80s during like the height of designing women and everything. But uh, obviously they had her on here because they wanted a name that you recognized uh, that would help establish this character as, okay, this is somebody important. This isn't just unknown actor who's the wife of the president. Yeah, she won two Emmys for Frasier. She was a guest actress in that, won a couple of Emmys for that. Samantha Who, I vague, wasn't that Christine Applegate? Was that Samantha Who? Um, and then Hacks is her current show. She's won. She did Fargo as well. I, there was at least one season she was in a Fargo. I didn't see that. The last the last two years of at the time of recording this, she's won the Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy for Hack, and she won a Golden Globe for that as well. So no, she's 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 on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. There you go. Didn't know that. Uh, love it, love it a bit. But uh, yeah, I love this kind of setup and um, her assistant too. She becomes quite a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so got to remember her. And um, Canadian actress. She's in things. I know we talked about her last season a little bit. Uh, she, um, th- There was a TV show that ran here for a couple of years in Canada. It was funny enough. It was based on a John Woo Hong Kong action film called Once a Thief that became a Canadian action TV series called Once a Thief. But uh, I-, I think I probably recognized her at the time. I actually got more into Once a Thief like after watching the movie after 24. Um, but, uh, she was somewhat well-known here in Canada. She's definitely done a few other things, but yeah, she, she definitely becomes a major character this season. I, I don't know if like you've covered all the CTUs. So I'll just go with some of the bits that I like. Just... Well, there's just, there's really just Spencer saying, yeah, I had sex with Chloe. That's and Bill and Curtis, I guess, connecting the dots between oh, uh, yeah, the only thing connecting Jack. that is Jack's connected. But and they look... don't know. Let's remind people. They're the ones who don't yeah. know. Curtis and Bill don't know that Fiona and me do it in the van every Sunday. Um, that's about sex, Colin, doing it, doing it in the van. Um, but like, I kind of like just the way they do this with Martha and like, you know, she wants to tell, uh, Logan something. He's doing the press conference. I like, there's a scene from Mike. <laughs> Remember Obi-Wan, Luke, no, like with the hands, like going up, like you must not go to yeah. Dagobah or whatever it is, or go save Han and Leia. Like, there's that a bit, leads to the dark side. Like, there's a bit here where Mike sort of walks up to Logan. What is happening, Martha? Why must <laughs> you speak to Logan now? Um, so it's kind of obviously laying a little bit of groundwork. But again, like, are you are you watching this now, knowing the twist of Logan and trying to pinpoint it? Because I are, am, yeah. There are just moments I just can't see it, and that's why I just I don't believe it that they knew this I'm, early. I just I just don't believe it. Yeah. Like I think episode one is interesting because because the way season four left off where you're saying like, oh, now he's the politician, you know, uh, I think that you could watch this where he's shocked at the death and everything. And he's like, what? How is that possible? You know, and you're like, oh, he's just become a very because I even mentioned at the end of season four, it's like he's he's realized that being a president is being an actor, you know? Yeah. Now, whether or not that means they definitely had a plan, I think it's at least interesting to look back on now and be like, oh, as a fan, you can connect the dots and be like, this is the reason why he's acting like this. A couple of things just too, just on, on the bits that you mentioned. Um, Audrey, I feel she's slightly wasted this season. I mean, it's not season six, but like 
I don't know. There's just, there's something about what, there's one storyline, which I hate what they do with Audrey. It's just purely, oh, we've got to create some drama. So let's create, this as a storyline. There's some good stuff. Like there's some great stuff between her and Jack. I don't know. I'm just, I'm indifferent on Audrey this season. Later on in the season, when her dad comes back into it, you've got a lot more better stuff to do, I think. Um, but uh, I, I'm I'm 50-50 in Audrey. She's not as good as season four Audrey, but she's still great. There's stuff to come. But so, yeah, her being brought in here, I like the moment when they sort of say like, you know, oh, it must be hard for you to come back here. Yes, it is. Now, let me get back to work. But Kim Raver does this little moment where she kind of stops and sort of looks around and kind of, you know, mm. good good stuff going on there. Um, and yeah, I, I, like the thing with Logan and the presidential stuff, it's like, you're right. Like he has that line when he's kind of like, this is the, the defining moment of my presidency and kind of like, because you've got to think that, you know, I understand why he's pushing this treaty, but like also a former president did just get murdered and sure they could delay it a couple of hours. I mean, he even says to Bill on the phone, like basically like not to be disrespectful to Palmer, but we need to get onto this treaty. Like, I mean, <laughs> he's the Ben Waterworth of presidents. Like... <laughs> Colin, I'm really sorry Jamie died, but we really need to record 24 tomorrow. <laughs> These Patreon episodes are way overdue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, and yeah, Spencer, Chloe, sex, sure. Edgar being a bit yeah. of a weird stalker when he's just sort of, well, duh. Oh, Spencer, <laughs> did you put your pee-pee in her poo-poo? <laughs> <laughs> that was the best getting impression I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, duh, thanks, Colin. <laughs> um, uh, the rest of the stuff with Chloe, Chloe basically is on her way to work and decides to call Jack or whatever because she notices the creepy man in the van. This is the rapist van, uh, our, our good friend. Well, that she's we also never on the about phone 24. about to open a car when they said, like, oh, there was a car bomb. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, and yeah, you get the, the rapist van stalking her here. She's eventually going to call Jack up. Jack you know, takes the call outside of Connie Britton's house. Excuse me, I need to take this. And What is it, Chloe? You're under, told you never to call me. Uh, since Chicago. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I'm with Connie Britton. This. She doesn't follow anyone. This is scary. <laughs> I'm getting more attention than Joe Biden. <laughs> but uh, she basically says, oh, and President Palmer died and then Michelle and Tony were hit and now there's somebody after me and I think it has to do with your death. And he's just, I mean, I just love that Jack... Even in this domesticated Jack role, he's working on an oil rig and, you know, dating Connie Britton and giving a glass to a kid who's drinking out of a carton. He's still got like a panel from his wall that he removes and he's got a gun and he's like, I'll be in Los Angeles in 30 minutes. Which, How far is he away? We'll find out later it's by helicopter. Yeah. He's just, he's immediately ready and he's on the go. He's Jack Bauer still, you know, but like 30 minutes at a helicopter and he's going to be there. Um, I guess the next time we actually catch up with him, you wouldn't even know how he's getting there in 30 minutes. And I'm wondering, why is he living so close to Los Angeles? Isn't this the place you should be furthest from? But then you see he's basically at some helicopter yard. Like, what is this place? I mean, it looks, it's incredible location, but is it just a place where one helicopter is parked? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and he knows where it is. I don't, like, is this, I actually don't know if this is, he's got to be in California still, right? Like, he's he's somewhere oh, yeah. in, in California. 30 minute helicopter ride. It says here, Maha, so he's in the Mojave Desert. Like, I mean, didn't we establish in last <laughs> season with the nuclear bomb or whatever it was, or Air Force One crash? It was five minutes down the road. Um, so I just says, wanted to be Guys, I found the manifest. Yeah. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> we got a passenger list finally. Get that to CTU. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's just gone to this yard. Not a, I, my biggest question here, jumping ahead slightly, but when Derek pops out of the shadows, I followed you. How? Like he's Jack's in a ute. So basically there's nowhere to hide in the back. Is he, like I, I really don't know how he's followed him, but plot's got a plot. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he doesn't go back to Connie Britton's house and say, hey, I got some business to take care of. Like, he just say, this guy's taking a phone call. I want to follow him as he takes his phone call. Yeah, and but also, like, there's a bit of a plot hole here in, like, Jack's a bit dumb here because Jack's literally like, oh, hey, Derek, what are you doing? Well, you're coming with me because you're going to go to the cults and I can't let anybody know about this. So what does he do? He yes. calls Connie Britton. So we're like, yeah. when he's like, hey, 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 Connie Britton, I've just kidnapped. I'm in a hell. I love Connie can hear that it's loud in a helicopter. I can't really hear you. Are you in a helicopter? <laughs> and Jack's all just like chilling. Yeah, what's up, Connie? Um, by the way, kidnapped your son. Uh, I need you to get to Los Angeles. I need you to meet me there. No questions asked. Don't call anyone. I'll see you soon. Remember when you said to trust me? See you soon. See you soon. Like, I'm sorry, but Connie Britton is like, oh, hell no. This is a red flag. Hello, 911. <laughs> yeah, some guy that I've been fucking Frank. Um, yeah, he's kidnapped my son in a helicopter. Like, I have like big mistake there from Jack. Like, you got to you, you trust no one. Well, I watched the X-Files. Fox Mulder wouldn't have done this. And this is uh, part of what, especially Kiefer, but really everybody was so hesitant about with this storyline. Because, yeah, he follows him there and he kidnaps the kid to steal a helicopter, which that alone, like, forget about the fact he calls Connie Britton, which also doesn't make sense, but... It, it, I still can't really connect the dots as to why Jack feels he need to has to bring him because this kid doesn't know who he is. Hey, some guy named Frank just stole a helicopter. Okay. And like, it's not going to lead them to Jack, right? Like, uh, but let's just, you know, for argument's sake, say he needs to do this. It's again, it's the performance itself. And now the most interesting thing about this performance is that on the commentary, um, John Cassara is talking about how Kiefer was so against this storyline because they didn't want to repeat everything with Kim in the first two seasons that he actually asked him, he's like, I I'm afraid that they're going to drag this thing up for the whole season. And I'm going to have you know, the, the, the kid who shouldn't be there attached to me. And it's going to be all that stuff all over again. And John Kassar gave him the advice. He said, if you want the kid off the show, just play your scenes. Like you don't want to be with this kid, you know? And I don't know if that was John Kassar playing mind games with him. He's like, you know, this is how I want to get a performance out that like Jack just is stressed out by this kid. But he actually gave him the advice. Sabotage your own scenes. Make <laughs> them want to write this kid on this show. He pulled out a knife and stabbed him. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck <In> off. The neck. <laughs> but it somehow works. And, and they do mention like the, the I guess, the way the storyline wraps up and how well it does play out. But, you know, I still don't think it's terrible. I mean, it, it adds a little bit of tension. Uh, it's unnecessary, but it's, and, and for some reason it, it doesn't fall flat in this episode and it should, um, basically he lands and meets up with Chloe and Hey, who's the kid? Uh, I just kidnapped him. It's nothing. I'll tell you later. I'll tell you. It's when your boyfriend, I'm a pedophile now. <laughs> I, I think he even says, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in the car. And she's like, Oh, I took a cab. Uh, I'll tell you in the helicopter. <laughs> this is, where were they going to go in the car? I don't know. But uh, when they get in the helicopter, now this this entire action scene, this is done so well. And again, the small details that really work. When the helicopter's powering up, but you see the car come. These are the henchmen who are after Chloe. And they're like, Well, it needs to warm up. Like, we haven't gotten the speed because you know that with airplanes, like Top Gun Maverick, right? Like, oh, we don't have enough runway to get to the speed we need to get in the air. With a helicopter, people don't realize you need the same thing. Like those rotors got to be turned into fast enough speed to lift you off the ground. And it's just a small thing where it's like, uh, this isn't going to work. We have to buy some time. So Jack's whole plan, let's get out of the car. Let's uh, you know hide behind it, draw their fire. We get this great shootout sequence. And again, the location really makes it. I don't even know what this location is, but it looks great. It lends itself well to the action sequence. This is the reason why the uh, thing had to be reshot because 
the actor, what not the main actor, not the guy that you know uh, didn't tell us he was on Twenty Four, <laughs> did, but uh, uh, one of the other henchmen broke his leg during this sequence. So they basically had to shut down production. Uh, and, and then by the time I guess they they came back and were ready to finish shooting the scenes, this guy's in a leg cast. He's still willing to finish filming the scenes in a leg cast, just covered up. But the original actor who played the assassin had something else to do. So they're like, well, we only filmed half of our scenes. So they had to go back, get a new actor, reshot the assassination scene, reshot the first part of this sequence, and they finished filming all the sequences with this new assassin and the guy in his leg cast. And then there were concerns raised. I think it was uh, uh, John Kassar particularly was saying the actor that they had cast, which he didn't okay, they said look too young. They basically said he was a good actor, but he looked like a kid. And you don't need Jack Bauer facing off with a kid. Like we needed somebody who was like a menacing older henchman. So they convinced the network to allow them to go back and film these scenes for the third time with a third actor just to get this right look for their assassin. And that second so, kid was also on the show. That was uh, uh, Philip Reese. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that that's the guy who went on to play John Connor. So they both were in the scene. I got confused. <laughs> but apparently I want to go back and rewatch this scene knowing this, but apparently there are several shots where you can see one or both of the other actors in this action sequence and not the guy, Jeff Cober, who ends up playing him. But uh, the big highlight of this is that that car stunt where Jack shoots the car and it, it again, it's it's unpredictable. And finding out in the commentary where I'm like, what a great detail. And then you listen to the commentary, like, wow, that was unplanned. The car was supposed to just kind of, you know, hit one of those little ramps and kind of roll over. But by accident, the car went off and crashed, had this spectacular crash that doesn't look like a movie crash. It looks like a real crash. And the stuntmen were all disappointed because like it didn't go according to plan. Can we do another one? And John Kassar and Kiefer Sutherland were like, that was the most incredible crash I've ever seen. <laughs> Let's keep that in the show. So the stuntmen were very unhappy. They kept that in the show, but it, it looks great. Um, he basically questions the, uh, the, the henchman here, the assassin, uh, quickly gets the information out of him. And then this is when you know it, it becomes a little bit personal for Jack. He get, gets the information from him. And then when he says, all right, now get me to a hospital, he just pulls the trigger. Uh, now, first of all, this kid who you just convinced, I'm not a bad guy. He just killed somebody in front of him. But this is the Jack Bauer who's always, we need to get every, there is no way that this is all the information this guy had. This is somebody that you're going to go back to CTU. You're going to question a million times over, make sure the story checks out. But you would think, okay, plot hole, why would Jack kill this guy? But you know this is a personal thing for him by him pulling the trigger. So whether or not it does go against his character, I think in another way, it actually works for the new character of season five. And it's a great ending to the episode. I, I would argue, no, I don't think this works against his character at all. I believe 100%. This scene is more effective than him killing Nina. I'm going to say that right now. And Nina should have had more of a personal connection because of obviously Terry. To me, I had my gripes about that death scene with Nina back in season three. And even just the way that Jack kills her and it's just like, you've got no more information for us, Nina, do you? Bang, 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 bang. Why didn't we, I don't even know if I mentioned this back in the episode, we didn't have a line like for Terry, you know, you, you know, that's why that scene in the plane is so good to me when he's like, that's what you took from me. That's what you took, Nina, which mm -hmm. you didn't like as much as I did. This works so much better because like Jack's not going to kill this guy. And then as soon as he says that I'm the one to kill Palmer, you've just got this moment where Jack's like, you're the one who killed Palmer. And he's like, yeah. Mm. And then you just see it in Jack's face. And the way they end this episode too, you don't see 
the reaction from this guy getting shot, you don't see a long shot of that. You just literally see Jack, a close-up of him on the gun, firing yeah. it, and then that's all you see. I think you get a reaction shot from Chloe and Derek, but that's it, and that's what makes it so effective. I Just backtrack slightly. Top five moment, obviously, with Michelle dying. We didn't really mention that, but I've marked this oh, one yeah. down. as I don't think this will make the top five because we've got so many other ones to come this season, but this is a such... And this is where, going back to where you said... You couldn't remember if there's much more out of the opening moment of this episode. This is why this entire episode is incredible because nothing is bad about this episode. Yeah, we've got a plot hole here and there, but like, this is why even just the way this episode ends. And like, again, remember watching this live, you were literally like, holy fuck, what did I just watch? Yeah. And like, it's just the way that you see this. And we're going to talk about how this easily could have just gone off the rails. We're just how amazing this keeps going on. But yeah, this action sequence is incredible. Um, you know, Derek, again, how is Derek just not annoying? It's just this random damsel in distress kid. But somehow, like, he's in the... the and, like, Chloe, Marilyn Rashkip's incredible here. She's got a gun again. She's She's got... It's, it's always a way, isn't it? Random character kills someone, and the next season they're going to kill someone else again. Kim, now Chloe. Um... I do question. Oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I made a note of that too. Is she has a bloodlust? Like she's just like, yeah. oh. and even Jack has to call her Chloe. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Again, we saw it with Kim. Now Chloe. I do question though. Like, yeah, Jack. Like I'm kind of with you. I love Jack pulling out the thing out of the wall and got a gun. I mean, it's a bit the thing with this whole trope of oh, Jack's not in the game anymore, but he's going to get in the game. I said this a bit last season. Like, it's just so quick. Like, it's just like flick a switch. Like, no, I'm retired. I'm having my cornflakes. Flick, I'm evil. I'm not evil. Like, I'm Jack Bauer. I'm going to find the terrorist. Um, but, like, I love how he calls Chloe. It's just like, damn it, Chloe. All right, I need you to go to this this point, this point, this point. I'll be there in a helicopter. Like, does Jack just always have in the back of his mind an escape area? Like, I want you to go to the Chuck E. Cheese on 7th. Um, like, just you know, do as you're told, Chloe. Damn it. But I do like that moment when, like, like we'll get in your car. I took a taxi. And you just see Jack going, like, fucking hell. Um, I agree with you with the helicopter. But, like, at the same time, like, with the starting up slowly. But, again, it's just it's one of these many technology contradictory things that 24 does. All right? You can't have it work all the time one way and not the other the other way. Like, last season when Marwan's warming up, Jack's helicopter started in two fucking seconds and he could fly there straight away. Every other time, Jack has gotten into a helicopter. Chopper command, he's got to be there in five minutes. It works straight away and he buggers off. The only two times that the helicopter's taking time to warm up was Marwan trying to escape and Jack trying to escape. Plot's got a plot. I get it. But you yeah. can't, like, stop contradicting your own technology in this show. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's an older I, model. I just, one thing I want to backtrack, like, I do actually, like, I honestly thought Chloe was going to die in this episode because, like, you do kind of get that vibe. Like, you went back to the point about whole, you, you know, it's obvious we're seeing Palmer die. Well, now we're seeing Palmer and Michelle die. And you kind of get this moment where straight away, like, it is sort of obvious if you think about it. She's going to a car and she goes to put the key in the car. But it doesn't, I don't, I think it's filmed in such a way the audience doesn't click until you see her about to put it in the, the door. Yeah. This should be obvious, you know, at this point. And then that's when all of a sudden it's like clicking. And then when you sort of get that scene with Edgar and that where, uh, Curtis, who Curtis is very not very Curtis this episode. He's actually, you know, just being normal Curtis. Not the people died, their hearts stopped beating. Um, but like, kind of that's where the connecting dots. And the bit too, which I don't know if you mentioned about how, and the kind of you alluded to earlier, this guy when he's dying, we kind of hear that basically, you know, because Jack's like, how, why are you after me? How do you know I'm alive? And it's basically like, well, it's not about you. Uh, it's to cover the Palmer death. We needed yeah. to kill Palmer. We needed to kill Michelle and Tony, and then we're going to frame you. Like that is kind of a very important thing because that's going to be more next week that you'll obviously get. So, I mean, it's just 
everything about this good. And again, like I'm sure you think the same too, but like anybody who remembers this episode remembers the Michelle and Palmer death. But there's so much more to this episode. There's so much more action in this last scene. Just a cold. This is Jack's coldest kill in all of 24 mm-hmm. to date. Um, and it's just again, it's it's more cold than Nina. Uh, so love it. And it's just such a perfect way to end a basically a perfect episode. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 basically like the James Bond spy who loved me, or or um, yeah. pushing the car off a cliff in Fear Eyes only. It's like it's the only time where Jack just does something in cold blood. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, that I, I don't know whether you have an opinion on whether they should have revealed that thing or kept the suspense more about. Oh, it has nothing to do with you. You're just the diversion because I think that that would have been great to drag out a little bit longer to make people think, well, what is this? Because it's, it, I specifically said episode four because you drag this out over two nights, four episodes. To me, that would be the great reveal at the end of episode four. Hey, it actually has nothing to do with you, Jack. You're just our scapegoat. In the the words of a famous James Bond singer in a great James Bond song, yes and no. Um, I think that, I again, I completely see what you're saying, but I think the first four episodes are effective enough with so much other stuff going on that it it, it doesn't, like this is fine because again, whether it was a plan or not for the long term game for this season, it works so well. When, as much as I argue, the massive twist this season is one of these one time things and it's done. And once you know it, it's not the same because you can watch this season differently. On the flip side, seeing scenes like this make it better because, like, I think you kind of can watch this differently. So. Yeah, there's sort of this reveal with Palmer and it kind of, it's a fake out where it's like, oh, okay, well, that was sorted with and it comes back later on. It's kind of almost like um, hella last season. But uh, yeah, I, again, I see what you're saying. They totally could have dragged it out, but I think it's fine that they do this now. It works. It, it adds to it adds to Jack killing this guy in cold blood. I think he needs mm. to do it. And it wouldn't have made, like, that's where back to what you said about it doesn't make sense for Jack because he would take him back to question. If this guy didn't reveal things like this and Jack just killed him because he said he killed Palmer, then you'd be questioning going, well, hang on a minute. Like you killed this witness for no reason. I think though you still could have done this um, with Jack doing the cold blood kill just for David. You know, you're the one who killed the president. Yes, I am. Boom. He just does it. And you don't have to necessarily reveal the, the that there's more to this than the whole Jack connection. Um, but yeah, I'll agree with you. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I, I'm not mad at it either way. Um, trivia for this now, your books haven't arrived yet. You have ordered the, the books. <laughs> so, uh, literally the night before recording, I just, uh, ordered the Tara Delula. I don't know actually if Tara writes season five and six. So they only ever did the official companions up to season six. They never did a seven, eight or nine or legacy. But the, the thing that I found Colin is that five and six rare. And I could have bought yeah. them off Amazon for $450 each, <laughs> each. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I like 24 to spend $450 enough on a book like that. Managed to track them both down on eBay. You know, I spent less than 100 on both. Let's just say that. But uh, hopefully they will arrive by the time we finish this season. Season six should be here by the time we get to season six. But uh, I do not have any trivia outside of what uh, the either IMDB or 24 Wiki tells me. Uh yeah, twenty four wiki. This is it. So this one, it it's submitted for the this is what won at the Emmy this episode and also Kiefer. I do love this trivia fact on IMDb. In two thousand three, Gene Smart, Martha Logan, starred in a TV movie called Audrey's Rain. Appearing in this season in twenty four, actress Kim Raver plays Audrey Rains. 
Um, and apparently Marilyn Radskib and Brady Corbett appeared together in Mysterious Skin. So here's here's an interesting one. Uh, this is Jack's 100th kill of the series. Oh, in this episode, do they I don't count know the which prequel? Kills. Uh, I wonder if they do. Um, but uh, well, it says uh, during the course of the series, so I guess that part of the series, so maybe prequels, um, canon. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know which kill that is because does he kill more than one henchman? I mean, the, the the car that crashes, is that guy dead? Who knows which one it is? It would be great if the 100th is that guy, the the assassin, Jeff Cobra there. Uh, and also, Tony, uh, this this is funny. Uh, Tony was also supposed to die in the explosion, but Carlos Bernard convinced the producers that if Tony, Michelle, and Palmer were to die within 10 minutes, the shock value would have decreased. Now, I'm saying that he knew, hey, if I can convince them to keep me around for five or six more episodes later in the season, <laughs> I'm making more money. There is no way shock value decreases with this. And what yeah. we get with Tony, I actually like what we get with Tony this season as unnecessary as it is. What I feel like, I feel like it prolongs the shock because you're spreading it out more, but it's also not like we're going to be lacking other shocking moments in the season. Hello, Edgar and Sean Astin and some other people. Um, but uh it works again. It works either way. I'm not mad that they kept him around because you do get some fun stuff out of him, but hundred percent, this would have increased the shock for Tony to die. I completely agree. And I think go back to my point and I, I think I'm going to firmly say it would have worked better for Tony if he had killed him off in this episode, because I, I'm really going to have very limited positive things to say about Tony moving forward, because we said at the very beginning when we started doing this recap that he just gets wasted and they just, it's like, they don't know what to do with his character. And like, it's just, this season seven, he comes back. I think in the is it the live another uh, the season nine? Like they did a couple of they stopped doing prequels, but then they did random epilogues like Chloe's arrest, and I think it's season nine they did this. Oh yeah, like the mini things. Yeah, really weird scene with him at the end of season nine, and then of course he, he's the only real connecting character through to legacy. Legacy. Although actually, I forgot about this about Edgar. <laughs> There is one character in Legacy. Edgar's got a cousin who's in Legacy. Now, uh, I completely forgot that they tried to shoehorn this in in Legacy, but oh my God, it's the worst connection ever. Semi ringing a bell. They don't even like, I think, I think, again, I'm not trying to, like, I could be putting myself in a weird position here, but I think the character in Legacy is Latino. And I don't think Edgar is Latino. So uh, um, Louis Louis Lombardi, that's very Italian. Italian yeah, and so Latino I just, close. Uh, uh it's I, I completely forgot about it. I and mean, I remember when I watched that last year, I like laughed out loud. I'm like, really? That's what <laughs> and you choose Edgar. Uh so Mar- Mariana. Mar- Mariana Mariana Styles. Ma- Mariana Styles is her name. Oh, um, you can see the family resemblance. <laughs> right? Can you see it? Played by Coral Pennar. Now that sounds Latino. Um, she's from the Dominican Republic. So <laughs> you've got Italian. <laughs> oh, don't get me. I just clicked. I completely forgot that we've got Edgar's cousin. Like, seriously, the 24 writers have gone, we need to connect this. We can't mention Jack. Like, oh, who would make sense? Remember Edgar? Like, I mean, come on. Um,. I don't know where you're going to rank this episode. I'm assuming we're both buying it, but I'll officially say I'm buying it. And you've broken and, a record for yourself, Colin. This is the longest streak you've ever gone on buys in 24. Congratulations. Oh, how many am I on here? Six in see. a row now. Wow. That's a, that is 
pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, I'm going to guess that there's going to be more buys coming. So that one's going to, uh, get, I don't have the next episode or any knowledge. Well, I remember the next episode. I don't know. I haven't watched anything of it yet, but I'm going to assume it's probably going to be a good one next week. But uh, ranking, um, this one, I, I went into this expecting first 15 minutes are incredible. I don't know how good the rest of it. And, and like a lot of these other episodes, like the Chappelle death or the um, the Air Force One crash, where you think, oh, that one great moment and is the rest of the episode. You can take the big moments out of this episode and it's still a fantastic episode. Is it a top 10 episode without the, the deaths? Maybe not, but it's pretty high up there. But with the deaths and everything, I've got this inside my top five, right? Or sorry, my top 10 right now. So this I have ranked as number nine overall. What? Uh, no, sorry, number ten overall. What? I've got this as number ten. Well, what? What? Ten? Are you upset at that? That is so low. What is wrong no, with no. you? No, I, hey, great episode. I love everything about this episode. But the other ones, I had, I basically went through wow. around the top ten, looking at each episode and figuring which one do I like slightly more than this, and which one do I like slightly less. In argument's sake, looking at episode nine right now. I could probably say this one over that uh, slightly. So I'll I'll move it up to nine here because the season three episode I have it around is. What's your number one still? Chappelle's death. Fuck me. I like if you ask 24 fan on the street, usually the two greatest episodes I always say is automatically this episode or the season one finale. That bl- I honestly uh, thought you were putting it to number one. That blows my mind. No. There, there's there's one episode later this season which is going to be the best contender for my number one. I, I mean, I, I will say right now, the episode you are talking about will finish higher than this. This, to me, is the second greatest episode of this season. Um, but, wow, I'm shocked, positively See, shocked. I have this at number two, um, only behind the finale of season one. And I'll say this right now, on my overall list of 216 episodes, this comes in at number four. And you know that one more episode above this will be from this season. So I'm not going to give away what season my uh, other top four episode comes from. Because spoiler alert, number one never changes on my list. It's the end of season one. I'm sorry. I'm just spoiling that now. But like, this, Jesus, wow, that blew me away. I can't believe you have no, that low. See, I, again, I'm, I'm not, I know that there's better episodes in this season to come. And looking at my list now, the one that I have just ahead of this is the the raid episode from season four, which I I love everything about that episode. Wow. Uh, so but again, it's it's you're in that rankings where you're you're very tight. Like there's minor differences between episodes, but if I had to pick between the season four raid episode and this, this one so definitely Paul's has death, those the Chinese moments. consulate. You've got a, ahead of that. That's uh, yeah. Well, that's my top five. Yeah, definitely have that one. You higher. don't have the. Do you have the uh, nuclear bomb episode from season two above this? I do. Yeah. That one's one spot higher too. And again, you know, a lot of this, depending on your mood could shuffle, but I, I would say this is a top five to top 10 episode. That wow. Shocked. Absolutely shocked. Shocked. Shocking. I, um, yeah, I, I'm lost for words, Colin Hilding. I legitimately thought that this would easily, both of ours come in. I thought you would question me not putting this at number one and still putting it for <laughs> really? that. Really? So you got, have you got it at number no, two? No, this or? is number two. This is number two for me right now, only behind the premiere, uh, the finale of season one. So um, I've got this above Chappelle. You know what? I've got this above the penultimate, the Nina reveal episode. I've got a, yeah, my top five is that. It's season one finale, this, Chappelle's death, Nina reveal penultimate episode of season one, and then the raid slash Paul's death uh, of last season. That's. Do you know what wow. part of it is? Is that 
I think knowing how much bigger seasons get, the episode one is a lot of let's build. And they do a great job of introducing storylines, introducing characters. But looking at my overall rankings, next to this, the next highest premiere I have is season four. And that's at number 20 right now. My season three premiere is at number that's 23. a very solid point, actually. Um, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, my next season highest... Season two, is... I've got it 43. <laughs> Yeah, so based on current ranking, yeah, this is number two. Season four is number 17. Season three is number 18. Um, season one is at 36. And season two is at 50. And just looking overall, so this, as I said, ends up at number four after all the episodes. And then the next one will be, is that four? Yeah, season four comes in at 36. Three overall. So no future premiere episodes will go higher than this on my overalls. I think maybe six would be the next one. Six premiere is pretty good. Anyway, I'm shocked. But no. you do you, Colin. Number Hearing. nine's a pretty solid ranking, especially for oh, a premiere. That doesn't even make your top five. Wow. Because is you're going to have another season five episode higher than this, right? One more. One more episode. Yeah, because yeah. I know which one it's going to be. And like, I, I, I'm not taking away from you, Colin. It's just, it's it, this isn't like a you and Noah at me on Double Love 7. Like, I just, <laughs> honestly, because like, I've just got to think of other episodes that surely will come ahead of this. This might not even make your top 10. Maybe not. Fucking hell. That's I mean, where I'll get angry. Premieres premieres to me are a lot harder because it is a lot of setting up story, which this does it better than any I've ever seen before. But, okay. Uh, right. No, I, I, that's, that's your choice. Unlike Noah and you, I don't throw shit. So, okay. All right. So next week we are going to be on to the second part of the night one premiere. Uh, and we're going to get more of Wayne next week, just looking at Yay. this. Uh, do you want to read the synopsis? Jack and Chloe infiltrate Wayne Palmer's penthouse in hopes of finding a lead to David Palmer's assassination while Martha tries to convince her husband that she had a conversation with Palmer last night. <laughs> Doesn't that sound exciting? Martha <laughs> tries to convince... <laughs> but her claim is later contradicted. Meanwhile, Cummings, haha, <laughs> Cummings, contact James Netherson launches the next phase of his plan. Oh, we get a Canadian connection. Next week, we go to Ontario Airport. In yeah. California. Very important uh, part of Ontario, uh, that California section of Ontario. <laughs> yep. Um, other episodes we have going on at the time you're listening to this, where are we at? Sweet Hereafter is this month. week. We're closing it off Sweet this Hereafter. week. Sweet Hereafter, there you go. Yes, there we are. So yep. get excited. I'm looking forward to the Sweet and then the Hereafter as well. It is a very different movie, but a great movie. Uh, at least I think so. And um, we're probably only a week or two away from Guardians of the Galaxy Season 2. Uh, season 2. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three. Season 2. Season, oh. Volume 3. I, I missed Season 1. I'm <laughs> catch up. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which uh, I'm definitely going to see. I don't know whether I'll see it right away because that's going to be a very busy weekend for me. But uh, that's probably the next big movie that we have to cover. Yes. Um, and I keep forgetting about it too, but, um, I'm sure it looks good air. I think have we done that yet? Maybe. And I actually want to watch Tetris. So I don't know if you're going to watch either. Oh yeah. That one looks interesting. Tetris I think has just dropped, but, um, yeah, there's a few things that we might sort of do here and there. And then, uh, I believe we're on to anniversary month next month, which I'm excited for. This might be the best anniversary month ever because, uh, three of the four made my top 50. 
so uh, and I've never seen American Graffiti. So uh, exciting okay. month for Ben fans, both of them apparently, because we get to talk about movies that Ben loves. So and one that I've never seen. So Truman Show, Mrs. Doubtfire, Rush, and American Graffiti. Formula One, we can talk about Formula The qualifying lap making its appearance yeah. on the Oz <laughs> Network, finally. I know I did a Schumacher episode and Drive to Survive, but you weren't on those. So Colin gets to talk Formula One. Oh, I know so much about it. They have the cars and the wheels and shifting gears and stuff like that. I'm sure they shift gears, right? Um, That's exactly it. That's and you're going to get a lot of cars in American Graffiti. George Lucas basically made the movie to showcase classic cars. I can I ask you one uh, question? I know you need to go. But are there Americans in this movie? Americans, yes. And is there graffiti in the movie? No. Well, then, no, no, I don't want to watch it. It's false advertising. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we will uh, talk to you next week about Ontario Airport. Until then, my name is Colin, and uh, my family are eating dog food out of cans. And my name is Ben, and actually, no, fuck it. Fuck you, I'm Connie Britton. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.